Pasternak. Hey, Kevin. Hi. Uh, Mr. Pasternak, I'd like to introduce you to my brother, Rock. Pleasure to meet you, son. Hi. Mr. Pasternak is the owner of the radio station that's funding the jump. And I'm the number one DJ. I gotta tell you, boys, I couldn't be more excited about this jump. When people hear me describing it over the radio, they are going to remember that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. Totally. Oh. I used to be number one in this town, but people don't listen to AM like they used to. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. That's stupid. It sure is, Kevin. In fact, I've got a tattoo here that fully illustrates my point. It's of this rebellious young man, and he's urinating on an FM radio. And then this other stream of urine is going on to that television set. You may also note that an AM radio is sitting safely dry in the middle. It's all magic carpet there. Oh, uh, yeah, look at that. <sighs> Del Rod, I spent the station's last $15,000 on this, so it has to be a big success. Do you understand? You can count on me, sir. Excellent. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. Fantastic, wonderful. Why, hello, it is uh, 7 minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 and this the month of August in the year of our Lord 2008. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. Uh, we are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly really ostentatious studios of AM 970 to talk, or this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, thank you for coming along. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. It's a mark of either A, how relaxed Sarah's dog Muppet is, or B, how utterly uninteresting I am to all creatures of carbon-based form, that Muppet is just sleeping about two feet away from me while I'm busy shouting things at the top of my lungs. I'm going to try not to take any personal offense. Don't you worry. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You'd like to join us today. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. For your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, two cents, uh, what have you, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, uh, and uh, other things of, of that nature. It's 503-733-2970. If you'd like to email, you can do that as well. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. All right, I don't mean to start off on the wrong foot again today, but is it just a tiny bit warm in here? A little bit? It was cold earlier, now it's a little, a little warmer. A little bit cozy? Tim, how say you? It feels seasonable to me. All right. But I, I took a long walk. I walked all the way at the max stop to come up here. Would anybody have any objections to me maybe turning down the heat by just another degree or two? No. Do, I would go for a degree, not two, because it's... All right. A, de a degree and a half. All right. Let's it right now. There we go. Fantastic. All right. Now we can properly begin today's program. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. See in our radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins, joining us today. So I guess the um, I guess the word is that Obama's picked his running mate and nobody knows who it is. And there's some, I don't know, there's some poll on Drudge that says it's Joe Biden. But that's just 
That's just a bunch of jabbering freaks hitting the button over and over again. So what do they know? Uh, so we'll uh, we'll find out more later on. Uh, seeing a radio correspondent. Well, Ed McCarthy's not available today. And here's the thing. I was lying to the CNN people and saying I wanted to talk about so-called cyber warfare. Apparently, we're being attacked by terms from 1998. Uh, so I don't really care about cyber warfare or information, anything. Boy, that's a term that just went away, the information superhighway. Here's a term you don't hear uh, much either. You don't hear cyber. You don't hear uh, information superhighway. You don't really hear World Wide Web anymore. Or high tech is here. <laughs> high tech. We still seem to be latching on to the, the, the letter E before everything, and sometimes I. But uh, the World Wide Web, that seems to be a term that, that, that its time has come and gone. It's now been put back on the shelf. So now it's all just, uh, it's all just Internet or sometimes apostrophe. Did you know Internet is capitalized? I would imagine so. Yeah, I would think so. I didn't realize that for the longest time. I always just got left the lowercase, and then I had somebody, I had an IT guy, correct me on that, and he said, no, 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 you know, Internet is supposed to be capitalized. And I immediately challenged him, doing that thing where I dug in on my position, even though I had no underpinning from which to do so. Like, I had no real reason. I had no evidence to show that I was right. But I immediately took this sort of uh, contrary and confrontational position. I said, that's a lie. Internet is not capitalized. What is your evidence for that? And he said, it's, and he said quite rationally, it's capitalized because there's only one of them. And then he just stared at me with the, un, <laughs> the unblinking fixed gaze of a man who is absolutely certain of his own correctness. And I said, well, okay. And then I just folded like a cheap suitcase. Anyway, I wanted to talk to Ed McCarthy not so much about cyber this or that, uh, it, but about Bigfoot. Anyway, that's not going to happen. Apparently he's not on. Uh, we will be talking to Amanda Moyer, who may or may not be tied to a tree uh, in the midst of a hurricane in Florida. Uh, so that's coming up later on today. Let's see what else. Today's top five. We're on a roll with fantastic top fives, I say, guaranteeing that the next one will suck. But today is not that day. Uh, we've had some really, really fantastic top fives lately. Uh, I put this one together this morning. We have here... These are the top five songs that are just lists of things. Top five songs that are just lists of things. Like the entire song or the greatest majority of them? Uh, for most of these, it's the whole song. Uh, the, let's see. Uh, the honorable mention is... Partially a list, partially not. The other five, though, all lists all the time. Top five songs that are really just big lists of things. Uh, that's coming up today. So, the, the irony, of course. No, not irony. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the flippity-floppity of that is that it is, in fact, a top five list of other lists. It's all sort of meta. Anyway, uh, we'll also have uh, Instapol coming up today, Double Geek Watch coming up today. We have a snuff watch from like four days ago that I don't think we ever got to. Is it still sitting over there, or is that one of those things that mysteriously vanished when somebody took your pile of news, Tim Riley? I can print it out again if a, need be. I have two corpse watches and a penis watch. You don't have a, and I gave you a Double Geek Watch this morning. I do. But we don't have a snuff watch. Uh, let me double check here. Corpse, corpse, penis. Like It's the duck, duck, goose of the Rick Emerson show. Corpse, 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 penis run. Uh, all right. Well, I'll reprint it only because I want to talk about the guy who did, who, who's dead. Uh, we had this whole, we had some unpleasantness the other day where uh, Tim Riley, I'm jumping ahead sort of in the in the in the day's uh, matrix, 
But so Tim has this, I don't know, whatever you got, like a plastic, like a filing tray or something over there? It's an organizing device. And see, for the longest time, you never really had anywhere to put your news, news that wasn't gotten to or news that was somehow overlooked or discarded and maybe the clock just ran out. So I asked Dave Zinn and he found something immediately. So he found you a tray, and let me understand this. Is it not just a tray? It is, in fact, a tray with your name on it? Yes, it says here, Tim Riley, the minister of truth. And so, <laughs> does it really? Yes, it does. Dave Zinn put that on. <laughs> okay, because if you'd written that, that would just be... label maker? Yes, he did. That would just be weird if you if you'd written it. Uh, that'd be like me hanging that huge uh, picture of my own face in my office. Um, so anyway, but, so we finished the, the show the other day, and you had some leftover news. You put it in the tray, and then you came in to, uh, yesterday, and the news was just gone. Right. Somebody had gone into a tray on which your name was labeled, and they had taken your news, including the snuff watch that I wanted to do. Uh, okay, we're going to take another run at it later on. Uh, so uh, all of that is coming up. Uh, one random caller today. Uh, wins. Let's see what the hell do they win. One random caller today will win. This is actually pretty fantastic. One random caller today who gets on the air will win a four pair of tickets to the Oregon State Fair. Admission good for one day, August 22nd, anywhere anywhere through September 1st. With over 9,000 things to do and taste, it's too big to miss. Visit OregonStateFair.org uh, for more details. Uh, they'll also win a pair of uh, run of engagement passes to the Dark Knight. Uh, so one random on-air caller today wins a four pair of tickets to the Oregon State Fair and a pair of run of engagement passes to the Dark Knight. Now the number two grossing film of all time. Uh, all right, what else? Well, that may be enough for now. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Tuesday. This is the greatest story this week. Wells Fargo depositors in Tigard are duped into giving their money to fake guards who promise to deposit the money, but deposit it in their own pockets and saunter away. Why not? Thousands. Thousands. Binge drinking among college youth will disappear if Oregon's drinking age is lower to 18, say three college presidents. An 85-year-old woman holds a burglar at gunpoint, forcing him to call the cops on himself. Bigfoot was really a Halloween costume. And a kite surfer is smashed face first against a high-rise building and then dragged down the street by <laughs> Tropical Storm Bay. That is fantastic. It's incredible. That's it's great. They need to see the video. It's pretty Jesus, bad. I haven't seen the video of the uh, Internet that, that was real slow. The, the World Wide Web was real slow this morning. I couldn't get it to function properly. But I, I, I'm to understand that video is deeply satisfying because it's just some ass who's deciding to use a hurricane to kite surf, right? right? Which, on the one hand, I guess you got to admire him in a sort of Jeff Spicoli kind of way. You know what I mean? Like, here's a hurricane. Let me get my board, dude. But on the other hand, that's just nature's way of kind of working itself out. You know what I mean? I'm going to kite surf, bam, into the side of a building. Wonderful. Excellent. Uh, all right. People on hold. We'll get to your calls here in just a uh, just a second. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello. How are Hello, you? Hello. I'm doing well. All right. Pretty very well. Sit at home last night and watched Gossip Girl, which was the greatest show ever. It was. I watched it too. That is well, we so... didn't together. We watched it in our own home. <laughs> and then you rode home on a tandem bike together and it's, slept in bunk beds. It is the trashiest show I have ever seen, ever, so, ever, ever. Laura watches it, but she feels a, a deep and abiding sense of shame and guilt when she does. It's oh, filthy. Yeah, there's no shame whatsoever. It's absolutely. These are supposed to be teenagers. So now Gossip Girl is. I know I have asked this like a thousand times. Is this the reality show or the scripted show? I scripted. Okay, The Hills is the reality show. Yeah, I, I don't watch that. All right. So, yeah, so Lara watches Gossip Girl, and she had two questions, one of which I think was echoed by one of you guys this morning. Her questions about Gossip Girl, which I haven't really ever seen, are A, uh, how old are the, the participants supposed to be, the, the characters? How old are they supposed to be? Because she said she couldn't tell if they were like 16 or 50. And then the other thing That's is, true. her question is, what demographic is the target of that show? Because, again, she couldn't tell if the target demo for Gossip Girl was teenagers 
or if it was adults, or if it was some canny mix of the two. Thoughts? Well, I hope for parents' sake it isn't meant for teenagers because that's... Oh, it is just so bad. The, the, teen, the parents and the teenagers look about the same, really. Yeah, that's what it, she said, too. I, 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 and here, these young girls, underage, nightclubbing, and then taking cabs home by themselves afterwards. Yeah, I think they're supposed to be, like, seven, like I don't know, around, like, 17. The characters are 17? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure that they're all in, in high school or prep school or whatever. Well, that's not there. so different from when, seeing that you've never oh, sounded older in your life. I hope for the sake of parents that their children aren't watching this. No, I mean, I'm, that's why I'm glad I'm not going to be a parent, because you're watching all these girls, like, sleeping with every guy in their class and then doing drugs and staying out all night. Like, really? And stuff. Well, one oh, it's they, ridiculous. They, maybe this is a program I need to watch. One guy said he had sex with some woman when he was in the sixth grade. Well, all right, then. I'm going to have to and put this on my to-do list. And they both with each other, too, and she's just like, oh, yeah, I remember when I slept with you, Chuck, and I slept with you, you know, in that club and had to be dragged out with vomit in my hair. I'm like, Jesus, God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she, was da- she was dancing. We saw you dancing with vomit in your hair. Fantastic. <laughs> we never judge you. Yeah, that was the greatest. All right, well, maybe I'll have to put this on my... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the, the cable turned back on this week. So. And it has the little sister from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, really? Uh, uh, what's her name? She Michelle plays, Trachtenberg? She plays the evil Georgina. Can I, how old is she now? She's, she's old enough, yeah, right? Yeah, she's of age. Is she hot? No. She turned out to be hot. She's kind of deformed. Really? Tim, what do you think? Yeah, she does. Uh, because There's I something can... kind of deformed and, and like, she's got a giant baby face. And, and I noticed some of the boys wear the same shade of lipstick as the girls, which is really strange. Where does it take place? Yeah. Is it L.A. or New York? New York. Yeah. All right. It's like all they all live on the Upper the upper East Side. All right. They're all, like, super rich and super messed up. Just to, just to sidetrack for one moment, so Michelle Trachtenberg, who I guess is used to this on Gossip Girl, so I really do need to watch it. So yeah, I'm going to get do. the cable turned back on this week because i got to be watching Mad Men, You'd which like I still haven't caught up on. Just sleazy in the greatest way. All right. So I got to watch Mad Men, Shields coming back, Battlestar is going to be wrapping up, and I'm tired of. Laura and I are constantly having to go over and leech off our friends who have cable so we can watch Mad Men. Hey, uh, we brought a bottle of wine. Can we sit in your television? Can we sit in your, your living room and watch television for an hour? Um, so, because that's. We end up. What we end up doing is we end up just calling around to our friends the day after Mad Men airs or like tonight and going, hey, yeah, you guys have cable. You watch Mad Men? Yeah, that's great. Have you watched that yet? Really? Oh, it's still sitting on your DVR? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we haven't watched it either. Did they listen to the program? We got all this wine that we haven't uh, consumed yet. Maybe we should come over. We'll just bring wine and we can watch Mad Men. That'd be great. Well, how about nine? Okay, wonderful. So, And that just becomes embarrassing because I'm like some sort of television transient. Uh, you know, I become the thing that wouldn't leave. So, anyway, so i got to get the cable turned back on. Uh, but So maybe I'll add Gossip Girl to my two-watch list. Yes. The thing about Michelle Trachtenberg is, so... I'm sort of, this sounds creepy, but I've seen her mature over the years because she was Harriet the Spy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that Harriet, Harriet the Spy movie is fantastic. That's uh, a cute movie. I read Harriet the Spy uh, probably 50 times, uh, but the, the book by Louise Fitzhugh uh, growing up. It was a fantastic book, and I was really sort of filled with trepidation about the movie. And then the movie, uh, which starred, among other people, Rosie O'Donnell, was actually really, really good. And Michelle Trachtenberg made an excellent uh, Harriet Welch. And then she was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer as Dawn, the shiny-haired, uh, I don't know, the shiny-haired freak who kind of ruined the whole show. The annoying uh, sister. So I just sort of try to avoid her uh, as a general rule because she's just, ever since Buffy, she, it kind of leaves, she leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So I think this is this is a good role for her though because she is actively disliked. All right. And by by the cast and by the viewing eyes, I didn't like her at all because she's definitely. Um, the scandalous character that you're meant to not like. So I think it kind of works. All right, we have to quit talking about Gossip Girl now. Like this is like with, that dancing with vomit in your hair. Dancing with vomit. <laughs> dancing with vomit tonight on the CW. This is like that thing yesterday where I was singing a Madonna song. I have to move on. Uh, let's see, what else is coming up today? Oh, hey, uh, we'll get to your uh, calls here in just a second. People are uh, 
People are uh, on hold for various things. Let's see. Uh, let me just let me balance out the Madonna and the uh, Gossip Girl talk by saying this. Anthony Franz had started to eat healthy, but the salmon salad he ordered for lunch from Shaw's Crab House wasn't the best choice. This is from the uh, Sun-Times. According to a lawsuit filed Monday, Franz says he became violently ill for several days after eating that salad, and later... Here's the best and worst sentence of the week. This is so much better than that guy yesterday who had his eyes cut out. No, no, no. This is, okay. this is infinitely better. Anthony Franz had started to eat healthy, but the salmon salad he ordered for lunch at Shaw's Crab House wasn't the best choice, according to a lawsuit filed Monday. Franz says he became violently ill for several days after eating that salad, and later... Yes? ...passed a nine-foot tapeworm. Bam! Uh, right there. That's what I'm talking about. That's gross. A pathologist called the tapeworm giant. There you go. Wonderful. We'll get more on that later. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, a couple things here before we get these calls. Then we'll break. Then we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins. Tomorrow, uh, we have a cool couple of guests coming up uh, in the next week or so. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking to a guy named Mark Cantor, uh, who wrote a book called Reckless Road. And you may have seen this uh, on sale, and I guess the guy has some sort of Portland connection. I think maybe the guy who helped him put the book together uh, lives in Portland. Uh, but apparently the book is you know, making an especially big splash here. It's called Reckless Road, and it is sort of a photographic history of Guns N' Roses leading from formation all the way up to the recording of Appetite for, De for Destruction. And... I mean, there's no words to express how cool this book is. I don't want to say it's a coffee table book, because it's not really like that. I mean, it is, it's, you know, it's a paperback, and it's about the dimensions of maybe a large hardcover book. But it is, it, it, he was a close friend of the band, and was just sort of there uh, from, even before the band started. I mean, he knew Slash in high school, uh, and was sort of there, living with the band, working with the band, traveling with the band, taking photographs by the hundreds the entire way all the way up to and through the recording of Appetite for Destruction, and he's now put out this book called Reckless Road, which is just like, I, this is a phrase that gets used way too often in the world of rock and roll, but it is just a treasure trove. It's just a gold mine of photographs. I mean, backstage shots, shots, it's a sort of crash pad where they were all living, shots from their very first gig they ever played, copies of old set lists, copies of those great, like, pen and ink, like, Xeroxed flyers that bands would put up on telephone poles in the Sunset Strip. I mean, it really is just an amazing book, and he was, just, he was there the entire way. Uh, so tomorrow we're going to talk to Mark Cantor, who is the author of Reckless Road, uh, The Journey of Guns N' Roses and the Making of Appetite for Destruction. So that's, uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, let's see. Let's just do these calls here, and then we'll see uh, how much time we have on the other side of these. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello. Hey, Rick. I just wanted to tell you um, who bought the um, right... No, um... He, 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 let's take another run of this. Um, I believe it was Dick Ebersol. Realize I don't know what we're talking about right now. Um, Simon's are you talking about Carly Simon's song? You're So Vain by Carly you're Simon? So vain, yeah, I'm sorry. And so you're... What, what does this have to do with Dick Ebersol? Yeah, he was the one that bought it. Um, and he almost bought it, too. I want to make a bad joke about Carly Simon possibly being involved with his, um, his plane crash, but that would be bad, as well as wrong. And, and, um, uh -huh. and um, his, um, anyway, he um, bought the rights for charity, of course. Yes. Um, she's very rich, Carly Simon, uh -huh. being Simon & Schuster, um, the heir of 
partly to that fortune. But anyway, um, he um, bought it for I don't know how much, but um, he was in a plane crash in the, like December of 2000. Yes. Um, I want to make a joke about that, but his son died in that accident. Um, the son he had was Susan St. James. And um, anyway, um, I just want to throw that in there. I'm glad you did, sir. As well as he, he was for a short time the producer of SNL. Yes, no, that is that is true. Yeah, All um, right. I believe he, he had something to do with um, Norm MacDonald being fired from SNL. Okay, then. Thank you, my friend. Yes, thank you very much, Rick. Thank you so much. You call us anytime. <laughs> that was voice three. Uh, I was just going to say. The wheels are creaking as they're trying to turn ever so slowly. <laughs> I was going to say, A, that's voice three. Pass all the rust. And I really was going to say the only adjective that can be properly used to describe that call is, in fact, shiny. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Oh, sorry. <laughs> wow. That, yeah. That was a fantastic way to start the show. How can I help you, sir? Well, um, um, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was just calling to uh, remind Rick that in three weeks, Entourage starts its fifth season. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. It's fifth season? I thought it was, I thought only, it was the... only the fourth. Man, that show just zips by. Is it only the fourth? I don't know. It, it's hard to keep track because... Was, season three was in like a bunch of different parts. Uh, and I think maybe maybe it is season five because maybe season four was the one where they went to Cannes uh, and then the movie sucked and then the guy bought it back for like a dollar or something. So. And they're, and they're repl- on On Demand, they'll have the last year season on... Entourage really is just, it's such a great show, man. You can sit, I've done this a couple of times. You can sit down and watch, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 12 episodes of that in a row. Just sitting on the couch. You sit on the couch, you get yourself a thing of cheese dip, and man, before you know it, it's like six hours later, and you've watched the entire second season all the way through. That show goes down like a finely processed, uh, it goes down like a finely processed can of Ready Whip. Very true. All right, thank you, my friend. Thank you. All right. Boy, at this point, I don't even know if we should take another call. It's, uh... I, our, crazy in the air. our batting average is a little uh, our batting average is a little hinky so far. Hmm. What do you say we just take a break, huh? If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get more calls around the corner. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Lisa Desjardins coming up. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth later on the top five songs that are lists of things and uh, so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. <laughs> Excellent day. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up in just one moment, CNN radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, later on, more of your phone calls. Today, one random caller wins a four-pack of Oregon State Fair tickets, as well as run-of-engagement passes to see The Dark Knight. Uh, let's see, what else is coming up later on today? Top five songs that are merely lists of things. Tim Riley will join us at the top of the hour, seeing a radio correspondent Amanda Moyer later on. I'm unclear about whether we're talking to Nina Parker from TMZ.com today or not. Probably not. You know, that being said, I'm just bluffing. It's like a 50-50 chance. Uh, we'll get Lisa in just one moment. Let's take care of this. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hello. Hey, Rick, is uh, Tim uh, handy? In what sense? Well, is he listening? You mean is he in the room? Yeah. No, he yeah. is handy, but he's not here. Oh, okay. Well, uh, have you, do you know he, if he plans to talk about or has he about an industrial accident involving glass? Uh, is this in New York or in Portland? 
I believe it was in Washington yesterday. Uh, the only industrial accident involving glass about, about which we've already talked is that thing in New York where that sheet of that pane of glass fell 30 stories, which is more okay, than a little terrifying. This sounds like it was a guy died yesterday. His coworkers found him uh, in a glass factory with a uh, lacerated throat. Okay, then. We'll put that on the list of things to check into. All right. All right. Thank you. Wow. Aren't you glad you took that call before, Lisa? I'm just saying... Our audience does have a very distinct bent. Let's put it There's that way. There's looking out for us. Did I mention about this guy with the nine-foot yeah. tapeworm? The tapeworm was described as being, wait for it, giant. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hello, guys. How you are know, you today? Dick Juliana was just talking about that tapeworm. See? Just a couple hours ago. I got my finger on the cultural pulse. You are on the pulse. You know, it's sometimes true. when I talk about tapeworms, I get the feeling that people don't properly appreciate the fact <laughs> uh, that I am looking out for their interest, trying to find those stories which they may find compelling or fascinating or entertaining in some dark way. I have a sense that you're right about that. No, you know, tapeworms are fascinating. Two quick things about this. A, when I was in Catholic school, did you have to dissect stuff uh, when you were like in uh, middle school or, or high school? High school, yep. Freshman year. See, and I didn't have to do it in high school, but for some reason we we had to do it in Catholic school, uh, and uh, and the first thing I ever dissected was a tapeworm, which is a little weird. That is really strange. Because you don't really think about a tapeworm being... I don't mean to be talking about tapeworms a lot. I'm just saying... Is you, there really that much to them? Well, that's what I'm saying, because when you picture a tapeworm, don't you just picture it like a piece of uh, scotch tape? <laughs> right? I mean, you just yes. picture it being like all square and thin or whatever, but it really yes. not. They really are just like an earthworm, basically. But I don't know where... But, and it wasn't segmented, which I thought tapeworms always were. So maybe it was a... Maybe it was a specific type of genetically engineered tapeworm, you know, that made uh, just for uh, kids to dissect. Well, there is one high school or one, I guess, middle school lesson that really uh, came up came up big for you. Yeah. Uh, How about it? Second thing, uh, many many years ago, when I was a young sort of radio rap scallion and just lived to cause trouble all the time. <laughs> right. Uh, I really I made this full court press. In retrospect, I don't really know what I was thinking, but I made this I made this real strong push to the general manager of my radio station was a talk station because they were all on this kick that we needed a mascot. Uh, and you can sort of see the punchline coming a mile away. Uh, but, I mean, they, they, they were all this, well, you need a mascot. People really respond well to mascots. And so, of course, they had the rock station that had a bear with sunglasses playing a guitar. And they had a country station that was... I do believe it was a, a a bull or what you know like a, a bull you know cow with horns a bull with a uh, with of course sunglasses and a Hawaiian shirt, and they had a bright AC station that was a bumblebee with sunglasses, uh, holding something or other. It wasn't a guitar holding something dumb, uh, and so we were the only station that was sort of sans mascot. And I guess in the general manager's opinion, like this was the this was the one remaining linchpin. This was the this was really the the, the the final link between us and greatness. And so he kept saying, "You need to come up with a mascot." And I actually had uh, the graphic artist at the station come up with this whole thing for Timmy the Tapeworm. And Timmy the Tapeworm, and it was a tapeworm wearing uh, like like Chuck Taylor sneakers and sunglasses. And I said, "Timmy the Tapeworm." And I had some whole and I had this whole paragraph written about why Timmy the Tapeworm was going to be the ideal mascot for our hot talk radio station. And I don't really think it was taken in the spirit in which it was given. It, I was fired. I was fired literally like five weeks after that. So oh, there you go. The end. All I right. think I think the name Timmy was a good call. Timmy the tapeworm had a certain, uh, you know, just kind of a, an alliterative uh, flow to it. Uh, all right, uh, Barack Obama, VP. Yeah. What do we know? All right, the Associated Press is reporting just in the last few minutes that Barack Obama will have a major event Saturday. 
in Springfield, Illinois. Now, that is where he actually kicked off his presidential run. The Chicago Sun-Times is reporting that he will ha it will be uh, sort of uh, the big show, uh, showcasing, I guess is the best way to say it, uh, Barack Obama and his running mate. Now, we don't know if that's when he'll announce his running mate. Maybe that announcement would come before that, but we know, uh, according to the Associated Press, that Obama is planning a very large event in Springfield, Illinois, Saturday, uh, for a joint appearance, apparently, with his running mate. So, uh, how do I put this? Uh, from your objective vantage point, yeah. do you believe that the odds favor uh, one person over another in terms of being his VP? I feel like this is, is such a, a hilarious exercise that we go through every four years, uh, and this time we're going to go through it twice since we have two candidates uh, without VPs. Nobody knows. We have no idea. Uh, I do think the names. I'll tell you who who is getting a lot of uh, a lot of ink these days is Joe Biden from Delaware. Mm -hmm. He and in, and a lot of people are are giving him even more attention because he's stayed out of the limelight, which is not typical of Joe Biden. Uh, you know, I, th I think he would make a lot of sense because of his foreign policy experience. Evan Bai seems to be taking a little bit of a knock today. There's some stories out about um, money that his wife received as part of her salary from various companies she worked for, which may have received contracts from the federal government, yada, yada. Uh, I don't know if that's going to affect him or not, but, but a negative story just before the decision uh, that deals with Evan Byes, the Indiana senator's home life. I, yeah, I don't know. I think we have no idea. I, I really don't. I, I wish I could give you – I feel like you're looking for a national inquirer. He slept with her. The, you know, but I, I, uh, I just don't know. That's okay. No, that's all right. Uh, has anybody done the obligatory, like, uh, you know, United States senator is Biden his time before announcement? <laughs> I, I I have to say you're the first that I have heard that from. Yeah, feel free to use that. So I'm embarrassed. I hadn't I hadn't uh, no, no, I, I hadn't anticipated. Here's the thing. Here's here's the thing about this program. We come here every day and we not only do the work of this show uh, <laughs> and the work of several low rent uh, the FM radio stations that choose to use us as sort of an ad hoc show prep every day. But you know what? Uh, I also do the work of uh, nitwit journalists who never met a punned headline <laughs> they didn't really like. Because do you, I mean, let me ask you this. It just just as a little side note. Do you have some kind of sort of a, a ability like that, an ability, you know, something at which you have some kind of a, you have a facility for it, but you're sort of embarrassed by it, like like the fact that I can say Senator is Biden his time? I, I do have some. The, the only one that I'll tell here that comes immediately to mind is I have a very strange knack for being able to tell when people have had their hair cut, even if it was just a tiny <laughs> bit. If you were, I love the idea of you being a superhero and that being your only superpower. Wouldn't that be terrible? Oh boy, yeah. That'd be so great. I don't know what your superhero name would be, but that would be your superhero. Like I can tell this man has had his hair cut within the last seventy-two hours. Pow! <laughs> On just that one, I can tell one hair was cut. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And so the the ability to, and I don't even really like puns. That's the thing. I've just learned that they just. I have this somehow just this endless capacity to create them. Just they just, they just roll out of my. Uh, it, like roll out of my brain like so many rolling things. You need to become a ghost pun writer. Hey, there you go. That's Somehow. a good idea. You could do that for sure. All but right. yeah, I, you know, I have no idea. Do you have a favorite VP candidate on either side of the equation? You know, McCain is now looking like he'll announce a week from Friday. Not for sure, but right. looking like it. Um, to the, and I know that this is sort of a this question is what I'm about to ask you is a paradox, but do you anticipate any surprises uh, during the convention next week? And I know that's a weird question because by oh, definition geez, let's, you. Let's, uh, 
<sighs> but I, I mean, in other words, is is there sort of any buzz, any any word right. that something maybe unexpected will happen, or that there that it may take any kind of a turn next week that we might not see coming? Lordy, I sure hope so, but I don't expect it. I don't expect anything, any major surprises next week. No. Do you feel that we have reached uh, an era? where when it comes to conventions and all the sort of things of that nature, the whole big ball of political wax, do you feel like we have reached an era where things are so uh, carefully crafted, managed, put together, controlled, where the advance team has done such a great clockwork job of making sure that things go on a very carefully determined timetable that we no longer have uh, those sort of unpredictable but exciting moments? In life? Uh, just in, <laughs> Yes, in life. <laughs> yes, in my in my everyday You're existence, We're all being Lisa. controlled, right? Um, at the conventions, yeah, I think that's exactly what what has happened. You know, I think this Hillary Clinton's name being on the ballot and uh, people being able to vote for her uh, I, that could get interesting during the roll call. But, yeah, I think everything is completely scripted, completely controlled. That's why you're seeing uh, these vice presidential announcements come before the conventions because the conventions it's it's almost sort of like a a, a big it's, it's like your Barbie doll. With, it's got all, all the little pieces there in the box, but they're all, you right. know, right, right where they were glued on. It's so, really it, so. Sort of give. It's, it's, so you sort of have the uh, you have the illusion that things are maybe being put together ad hoc, but really there's only so many. There's only right. one combination uh, of parts that will fit together correctly. I, exactly. Although you know, I will say this: the one thing that they cannot control at the conventions is what their delegates actually say. And there are many delegates, both Republican and Democrat that I've found at past conventions, that, that will say some pretty crazy stuff, that you will be surprised uh, how opinionated they'll be. They may even be a little negative on their candidate or their VP. And so sometimes you can really get some interesting stories and some interesting flavor from the delegates themselves. What was the turning point, in your opinion, for when the conventions became so carefully managed and controlled? Wow. Um, I would say in the 80s is when it happened. I think in 1980 was, you know, the... When, when Reagan got the nomination and when Carter got the nomination from Kennedy, th those conventions were actually interesting conventions, especially the Carter-Kennedy one. But I think after that, it, it really, everything has gone more or less according to script. You know, Jesse Jackson had his moment, all of that, but I, I think that since 1980, it's really been pro forma, as they like to say in the Capitol. Excellent. Do they really like to say that, or is that is that wishful projection on your part? You know, they like to say pro forma in the Senate because when they and and this I think we've talked about this before. You know, when the Senate leaves during recess, the president has the ability to appoint um, a number of very high-ranking offices, in, including uh, temporary cabinet positions, without Senate approval. And because this Senate and this president are such at odds. Uh, the way that recesses have worked for the last, uh, at least this calendar year, uh, Harry Reid has had what he calls pro forma sessions, which means some senator has had to come in every couple of days and gavel the chamber in, and then about 13 seconds later gavels the chamber out so that technically the, the Senate is meeting and the president cannot make recess appointments. So that's called pro forma. So everybody loves the pro forma on the I was just going to say, I don't even actually know what that phrase really means. Right. Well, there you see, it means it's just a, it, it means that there's um there's no real content to it. It's just kind of go, going along with, the with the, I guess, the format. Excellent. I don't know. Uh, as we prepare to wrap this up, we've now on the Rick Emerson program transitioned to a new musical question. Uh, the new question, uh, and you will be the first person to answer this, Lisa Desjardins, is what is your favorite Madonna song? Whoa. Um, I really like Like a Prayer, 
as well as Papa Don't Preach. Excellent. Good for you. Boy, you know, the Papa Don't Preach, that was a good look for her, too. She had Was the, that a good look for her? The, the short, thatched blonde hair, and then Danny Aiello uh, playing her dad. And then for most of the... Boy, I sound weird sometimes. And then for most of the video, she's wearing this very snug-fitting uh, shirt that is yes. horizontal gray and black stripes. Yes, which was good. You know, I also have got to put in uh, a shout-out to, um, is it Time Will Tell, the the, yeah. the the theme song from the movie with Sean Penn? Yes, yes. Yeah, that it was a good song as well. That Live to Tell. Live, live to, tell. to Tell. Thank dun, you, Sarah. Dun, You're the best. I love that song. It's a All great right. song, exactly. Excellent. All right. Uh, have a fantastic day. We will talk to you at some point in the very near future. Great. Thank Take you. Care. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, live to tell. In my head, I was getting it confused with Crazy for You, which is from Vision Quest. Yeah, Papa Don't Preach is a great song. Remember that terrible cover of that that Kelly Osbourne did? Oh, yeah. Boy, that was... You know, I love Ozzy Osbourne and all, but boy, just I'm kind of glad that whole Osbourne's area is kind of is a little bit behind us. She, well, she had that song, and then she did that Shut Up song, didn't she? Oh, yeah, that was awful, too. That was very bad. You know, it is. She looks really cute now, though. Have you seen her lately? Well, the last time I saw Kelly Osbourne was when I was in London last year. Her, she was plastered all over the. the she was plastered all over the tube. Uh, she was. Uh, there were posters all over the, the tube, the subway line, because she was going to be playing what's her name, uh, Big Mama in Chicago. Mm. Uh, and she was still kind of a kind of a larger girl there, but you know, looked cute. Yeah, she's still bigger, like not not morbidly obese I mean she's still like bigger size but she like finally found her proper haircut and she like is dressing a little more i don't know a little more grown up it's all about the present the avril lavigne you know little skinny punk rock yeah that was thing. that was that was no good but that was i think good. she lives in brooklyn too so i'll be i shall have my camera and i'll, I'll take some stocky pictures what celebrity are you anticipating or hoping to run into while you're in brooklyn i want to see my sister's seen mary kate olsen quite a few times mm -hmm. i'd like to see mary kate olsen because she said she looks like this little freaky like alien girl <laughs> she's, like, she's so small and weird looking and uh heather's also seen michelle williams i think michelle williams lives right around her well not the trafficking cliche but i mean if you assume that the camera adds like 10 15 pounds and those Olsen girls look, I mean, they look like they're about to slip into subatomic space, like under the best of like circumstances. An insect, like a real walking, like, lady insect. I just, I can't, yeah, I mean, whatever. Do they date? There are people, are there people who, I mean, I don't mean to be crude, but there are people who look at the Olsen twins who are now, you know, of age and oh, say, like, I... Oh, dating Heath Ledger. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah I they, thought they were just like, this sounds like such, I thought that they were just good friends. I thought they were just, I thought they just knew each other. Really, Heath Ledger? Yeah. I guess. I mean, drugs do funny things. I can't imagine the. They were they were special friends. I don't know if they had a relationship, but I remember reading about it well before he died. You know, this is like back in the uh, the back in the I think early '90s when it was you know Kate Moss was like the it girl that was on everybody's lips or whatever, and I just and it, it, I remember every guy I knew at the time just kept saying like I can't. And then Johnny Depp was all hooked up with her, and you're just like, I dude, know. what are you? What is your problem? <laughs> I it's uh, there must be some sort of strange like weird celebrity ether that your brain travels through that sort of warps your perspective on things because i remember at the time and i think even now you know i never met a single guy not one who was like kate that kate moss yeah she's a bring that on you know and i've never met a single guy who once they hit the age of adult like all of the uh, all of the sort of male desire that was weirdly projected onto the Olsen twins, let's be honest, was A, just because they were twins, and B, because they were jailbait. I mean, that's just kind of how the male brain works, I think. I have never met one guy. If you're a guy who really finds one of the Olsen twins to be hot, and I mean this sincerely. I don't mean this in, the, I don't mean this in a snarky Eddie Haskell kind of way. If you're a guy who really finds one of the Olsen twins to be hot, I really would like to hear from you just to know that you exist. Uh, because I just because I've never I've never talked to a guy met a guy heard I've never I don't even know anybody who knows anybody who's a guy who finds the Olsen twins to be hot. Mm -hmm. 
I think that is a, uh, I think that's some, that, that must be some sort of a, uh, I think that they have an interesting fashion sense, but as far as their looks go, they look they look really strange. Well, they're just they look like what are those paintings, the Keen paintings, where it's like the kids with the big eyes, like almost like Precious Moments. Totally, heads. exactly. Exa- Love is starring the Olsen twins. I'd really like to see her, and Heather sees uh, Kirsten Dunst out quite a bit, and she's always wasted, I guess. And she was trying to hit on Heather's boyfriend last time. Oh, of course she was. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst. Um, I'd like it. She's one of those people who I have dated. A strange amount of men who just think she is the hottest thing in the world. No. I'd love to see her in person to no. see if she actually is, because I think she looks kind of freaky. Looking. See, and I think she's kind of cute, but that's about it. Uh, and and uh, Kirsten Dunst, and she has a really off-putting, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Ben Steeler's like this to me, where, you know, and I still get to see Tropic Thunder, because I know it's the uh, the big movie everybody's talking about and whatnot, but, I, uh, but Ben Stiller's one of those guys that I, I have to work to get past him in a film, because he just puts off this vibe that you, like, you just know he's just a colossal ass. I mean, you can just tell. You can just every, every every time he's on. I mean, I don't think the camera lies in that regard. Every time he's on camera, every interview you see with Ben Stiller, he just comes off as like kind of a dick. I saw him on the Daily Show uh, yesterday, and he does seem kind of like a dick. He just seems like an unpleasant, unhappy, mean-spirited little man. Have you ever watched Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. When uh, have you seen Ben Stiller on no. on Curb Your Enthusiasm playing? No, I only. He see- is just a bastard on it, and it's just so easy to believe. The, yeah, because well, that's the great thing about that show is you can just live into all of your worst personality traits mm. on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like it requires, like that show just embraces everybody's inner darkness. Uh, so I always have to get past him, and then with Kirsten Dunst, anytime I see a movie with Kirsten Dunst, I have to get past the fact that she just seems like such a C. You know what I mean? Uh, the best example of that is Elizabethtown. Uh, with uh, Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst and Susan Sarandon, a, a Cameron Crowe film, which is flawed but good. It's a it's a good-hearted film, you know. It has its intentions I've never are. Seen in, that. It's not a. I mean, it's worth seeing. Its intentions are in the right place, but the biggest weakness of Elizabethtown is the casting, because Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst a have no chemistry together. Um, B she again just seems like some like a kind of unlikable shrew and it just comes off the screen no matter how much of that that magic Cameron Crow pixie dust he tries to sprinkle on her cuz he does that with all of his female leads mm-hmm. you know uh somebody wrote a great article one time about this there is a an archetype in cinema especially in movies created by sort of sensitive arty guys like Cameron Crow there is a female archetype called the manic pixie girl and she's totally that. And the manic pixie girl is the sort of cute, flighty, hyperactive, smart, sort of non-conventional girl who teaches the sort of dreamy, artistic, stressed-out main male character exactly how to let go and really live life for the moment. Like Kate Hudson in Almost Famous. Exactly. Oh, that is so it. Yeah. So. so I'm going through all the Cameron Crowe movies, and I'm, yeah. And- yeah. So, so cinema is filled with the manic pixie girl, and she is that like to a T in Elizabethtown. It's a good movie, but it's flawed by the casting, and she just comes off as just so unbelievably unpleasant. Can I tell you this? And this will have to be a little bit between the lines, and then we'll take these calls. Then we'll take a break. We'll come back with Tim Riley. It's already noon. Where does the time go? And so forth. Um, this is just a little thing between Sarah and I, uh, so I apologize for that in advance. Here's the thing about Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst, in terms of her personality... And keep in mind, I've never met her. I don't know anything about her except what I've seen in interviews on, on you know, in movies, whatever. This is totally just based on my perception of Kirsten Dunst from media. She seems to have, she reminds me a lot of a person you and I know. Uh, yes, exactly. I didn't even say anything else and you, you mouthed the name. Exactly. And I don't just mean in terms of looks. I mean in terms of personality. Yeah. Yes, like yeah. whiny and like needy. 
drunk. <clears throat> so, anyway. Moving on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. That was creepy how you knew exactly who I was talking about just there. We kind of share a brain sometimes. It's true. Uh, hello, sir, madam, as the case may be. Yeah, Rick, this uh, is Bob. Hi, Bob. How are you today? I'm fine. I just want to let you know I'm headed down to Florida this week, but I'm not going to go surfing. Well, that's good to know, Bob. I'm glad but, uh, you let us know about I, that. I am in a wheelchair, and I was wondering how many helium balloons it would take to get me back to Oregon. Now, let's just stop here for one moment. A, yes. uh, do you live in Portland, sir? Uh, Lake Oswego. Lake Oswego. Uh, B, you are heading to uh, Florida temporarily for vacation, family? What's the deal? No, I have a nephew who's taking over a, a ship down there, and I was invited down for the ceremonies. Excellent. Taking over a ship in, oh, in what? command of a ship. Yes, oh, in the, ship. in the Navy. Excellent. Okay. Yes. So he, so you're going to be going down to Florida to watch the ceremony as the ship's control is given to him. That's right. That's pretty impressive. Is that like a, Does that come with a new rank or something? No, he's a commander, but it would be his first command. I didn't know they had ceremonies for stuff like that, but I guess I should have anticipated it. It's called change of command, yes. Excellent. Uh, okay, so you are in a wheelchair, and so you are wondering how many balloons it how would take. How many balloons? Yes, I'd like to beat the record from the fellow from Bennett. All right. Now, keep in mind two things. One, the Rick Emerson Show and CBS Radio are not suggesting that you actually float back here via helium balloons strapped to your wheelchair. That is a decision between you and your God. That being said... All right, I'll need some information from you. Hold on a second. Sure. Let me uh, turn to a new page of my uh, my legal pad. All right, uh, Bob, what is uh, your weight uh, without the chair? 200. 200. Uh, do you know the approximate weight of the wheelchair? I would say 30 pounds. So we're talking 230 pounds. Right. You, you will be coming from uh, what part of Florida, sir? Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Like to Lake Oswego. I thought perhaps a hurricane would help me along. Well, that was going to be my question because that was we're going to try to determine exactly uh, you know there're going to be sort of like westerly winds that might help you along. For our purposes here, we will assume that maybe there's the jet stream or whatever that thing is, but we won't factor in the hurricane because it seems like that is maybe a little bit beyond our uh, beyond our abilities in terms of uh, in terms of you know variable uh, searching. So, Jacksonville, 230 pounds. All right, my friend, are you going to be listening today? Yes, I will. All right, we'll find out how many helium balloons it would take to put you up in the air and bring you back to Florida or back to that, Portland. Rick. All right, thank you, Bob. All right. So there you go. Was he for real? I couldn't tell if it was somebody pretending to be an old No, woman. he's absolutely real. Yeah. I can tell. I, I can sniff it out. I think that the, with that guy was... I mean, and plus, isn't that exactly the kind of thing somebody would ask us? That actually is. It did have the ring of unmistakable truth I think that his name was Bob, because in my mind, if I would have put a name to that voice, it would have been Bob. Completely. Uh, you know, there's a national organization of Bobs. National Society of Bobs. It's true. Huh. Uh, all right. So here uh, is your mission, should you choose to accept it, and I know you will. Listener Bob is going to be going to, now presumably he's going to be flying there in just like an airplane. Uh, he'll be in Jacksonville, Florida. He weighs 200 pounds. The chair weighs 30 for a grand total of 230 pounds. All things being equal and assuming that there are no uh, weather or climate uh, variances, how many helium balloons would it take to give Bob sufficient uh, flotation to allow him to float back to Portland, Oregon, or to Lake Oswego? There you go. That is uh, that is the question for you, the Rick Emerson faithful. One more, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, um, I was referring to the comment of the Olsen twins. Mm-hmm. Um, which one of them is not the one that's coked out? It's Ashley, right? Uh, Ashley's, yeah, the blonde or, like, less crazy. Well, we're not saying that either that's of them take drugs. Them that would uh, <laughs> that's, that's information that we would not be privy to. Well, anyway, um, Ashley's kind of hot in a weird kind of... Freak now, which one is? I, I mean, which one is Ashley? How would I? How would I be able to, uh, Sarah? How would I be able to tell Ashley? She's blonder. She's um, Mary she's Kate's one always wandering around in flannel shirts. Oh, okay. So yeah. So the the other one is Ashley. Now, do you find do you find her hot? Uh, in, because she's just sort of trashy looking. Yeah. 
Is that the deal? So you find her. So you find a sort of skank aspect to be hot. Yes. Okay. See, I can I can kind of get with that. I mean, I I like trashy girls. Ashley so. Olsen is hotter than Mary Kate Olsen. But they're exactly. aren't they identical twins? They're identical though? twins. But Mary Kate looks kind of greasy, and she's a little more sunken and hollow. She's abused her body a bit more. And mm. Ashley Ashley Olsen still has her stuff together. So maybe Ashley has a she's been preserved to a greater extent. A little bit. All right. So you find what other? Uh, can you give us one other example of a girl you find trashy, or you girl you find hot uh, to some extent because she is trashy? All right. Well, just you know, if you come up with something, drop me that in the email. Uh, so that is, I mean, that is a that is a reasonable criteria by which to find a girl attractive is her trashiness. I will grant you that, sir. I will uh, give you a call back if, when I take a one. All right. You come up with somebody else. You can drop it. Drop it to me in an email. What's that? Uh, never mind. Your name is Marlon. Yeah. All right, Marlon. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling. Call us anytime. Yep. All right. One All right, more. See, here. she's a little. See, that's Ashley Olsen. She's a little less beat than Mary Kate. I don't know, man. It's like her head is a perfect triangle. Uh, it is kind of triangular. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, hey, Rick. I was going to weigh in on the Kirsten Dunst thing and the Mary Kate and Ashley thing. Yeah. Um, uh, the Kirsten Dunst, actually, my coworkers and I were having a strangely having a conversation about this last uh, last Thursday. Mm-hmm. We think that she's, or the the general consensus was that that guys like her because she's kind of got that easy to get damaged person kind of <laughs> vibe going on. Um, and as for the Olsen twins, um. I don't really find them that great looking. However, their billions of dollars is very sexy. That, no, that is true. And I know that maybe that's a, you know, Lycus would tell you that that's a thing that most guys don't care about. Guys the guys don't really care if you have money or not. But uh, I have to if say. Guys that aren't rich like Lycus, <laughs> I think, would care a whole lot more about it. I was just going to say, I do, I, do, I do think it depends on whether or not, as uh, Lycus would say, you make a seven-figure income. Uh, for, for, the, for the typical guy, I think the idea that a woman has $12 billion in the bank, that is uh, that has a little bit. Bit of, a, of an aphrodisiac quality to it, yes. Uh, also, uh, I was curious if I could weigh in on the uh, Madonna song. Thing. Go ahead, sir. Uh, I think I would have to say Lucky Star, not for the reason that you liked that look of the day, mm-hmm. um, but uh, every time I hear that song, it reminds me of Bullet Tooth Tony from Snatch, and that's just a wonderful movie and a <laughs> hilarious character. Excellent. So, done and done. The gunfight in the strip club scene. Awesome every time. This is the best call of the day so far. Thank you, sir. Thank you much. All Bye. right, there you go. we got to take a break. Back after this. If you're on hold, hang tight. Uh, we will return to uh, the phones after this. Tim Riley around the corner from the Ministry of Truth. Later on, CNN Radio correspondent Amanda Moyer. Top five songs that are lists of things and uh, other whatnot. Uh, one random caller today will win a uh, four-pack of passes to the Oregon State Fair and run of engagement tickets to the Dark Knight. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Emerson radio program. So what is that, hydrocortisone? Yes, indeed. Hydrocortisone, 1%. And you have how many mosquito bites? You counted them. Um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. I think I have 11. Excellent. All right. 503-733-2970. Hydrocortisone is one of those things. Like, is that what's in calamine lotion? Tim, what's in calamine lotion? I don't know, but you're not supposed to use it on cats. That's what it says on calamine lotion. Do not use on cats. Why would you ever use calamine lotion on a cat? Somebody didn't. Apparently, they had unfavorable results. Here's the question. Uh, uh, can a cat or a dog, in other words, a, a creature that is covered in fur, can they get mosquito bites? I would imagine so. 
I guess they can. I guess they can get bitten by ticks or something. So maybe they can be bitten by mosquitoes. I mean, some dogs get fleas. Other dogs do not. Uh, okay, that's a fair point. I have a Dalmatian. There's no place for a flea to hide. But lots of opso. Yes, plenty of places. <laughs> no, don't I know it? Uh, so you're not supposed to use calamine lotion on cats. No, that's what it says on the <laughs> container. I don't know why. Duly noted. All right, because I was in danger of doing that later after the show, so now I'm going to take that off my, uh, the list of my afternoon activities. Well, if someone might have an itchy cat, they might be tempted to do so. Do you have an itchy cat? Insert joke here. Here's Tim Riley. It's time Street for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. This educational program is brought to you by Leif's Auto Collision Centers. Find us at Collision Repair. Go to Leif's.com and find out what Leif's can do for you. Okay, we have some interesting stories here about security guards gone awry. And both the local stories. First, a former security guard who stole bronze sculptures from a Portland estate has been sentenced to more than seven years in prison. And it's a lady. Catherine Laundrie was found guilty of aggravated theft last month. Investigators say the artwork was worth $81,000. They said she and her accomplices converted the artwork into $264 worth of scrap metal. $264. All that trouble. Wait, so this was from where? Where, where did this Portland art- estate. Uh, it was from a Portland estate. Yeah. She was a security guard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They stole the metal artwork. A bronze sculpture. A bronze sculpture. And it was only worth six, $264 dollars <laughs> food. I mean, seriously. Well, I mean, that's... Uh, all this trouble, all this planning. But, I mean, but isn't that always the case with this metal stuff? That the thieves or whoever, uh, you know, they steal it, and then they... I guess by definition, they aren't whoever they are, in fact, thieves. That they steal it, and then they turn it in, but you get just like a pittance for it, Right. I mean, the resale value of stolen metal is so low that, I mean, it's completely disproportionate to the amount of effort you have to put into it. Uh, I'm trying to think right now. Don't the people accepting these at these scrap metal places know there's a 99% chance that this stuff is stolen? Well, I mean, mean, maybe they've already done this, but don't you just expect one of the news organizations around here to just finally just go and do that? Do the old Mike Wallace 60 Minutes thing where you just get a guy on camera and you just say, don't you know that this is all stolen? Uh, Because I do believe... Now, I'm just sort of bluffing on this. This is based solely on information that I gleaned while watching The Wire on HBO. But I do believe that pawn shops in most states, maybe not here in our fair city, but I do believe that pawn shops in most cities, locales, and states, and whatever, have to, when they take in an item valued at over a certain amount, they then have to uh, let the police know that, like, hey, uh, we just bought this guitar that's worth $500, and then they have to just... Uh, put a description or whatever, and that way if a guy reports it's stolen, the cops can say, hey, it's at this pawn shop and whatever. So it, it sort of is surprising they haven't instituted some similar policy for these scrap metal yards, where, as you said, like 98% of the metal is ill-gotten. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Now we have this. This is rather ingenious. I'm sure the people who are the victims are pretty happy, but the people put a lot of work into this. Uh, well, anyway, they haven't been caught yet. A pair of fake security guards are suspected of making off with night deposits from at least two business employees over the weekend. This happened at the Wells Fargo across from Washington Square Mall around at 10 o'clock Friday night. Tigard police detectives said two white men in their 30s or early 40s were dressed in blue uniforms with guns, badges, and IDs while they staked out a night deposit box. Now, witnesses say there was a sign above the deposit box that read, Out of Service. And the two say they were collecting deposits from the bank. That is really ingenious. It really is. I mean, I'm surprised. And that was here? This happened in uh, Tiger, Washington Square Mall. Huh? The two victims said uh, they gave the money over to the man who collected it in a black box. They told police the men looked official. 
But what business called the bank the next day and found out what happened? Wells Fargo said the Dropbox was not out of order. And they would never have such a procedure in order to make night deposits. Well, now, here's a question. But it seems like, by definition, they would have a camera trained on that night box. You would think so. Uh, I wonder if they didn't, or I wonder if it was disabled, or I wonder if the guys somehow had gone there before and sort of sussed out where the camera was pointing, and then they positioned themselves so as not to be filmed. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really is... You know, here's the thing. I don't mean to sound as though I'm encouraging crime. I'm really not. Uh, The Rick Emerson Show encourages you to follow all laws and regulations of the city in which you reside. That being said, this is sort of this is sort of that that great kind of crime where it is both really effective and really low tech. It just takes it just takes advantage of little cracks in the social structure, and that is what this whole thing is. What Kevin Mitnick would call social engineering, mm-hmm. uh, really, which is where you just leverage people's assumptions and/or trusts into you know getting them to do something uh, disadvantageous to your benefit. So because this would be a common practice. If you're making a deposit for business at night, they right. do this. There's a night deposit box. There's never been a person there. All banks have them. You see them. I mean, it's, it's gone back several years. And, but... you know, what makes this whole scam believable probably is the fact that it's not a security guard. It's the fact that it's two security right. guards. Also, Which made it look safer. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, if it was one guy, you know, you're, you're sort of trained in America to fear just the lone stranger standing around. Uh, but if you got two guys standing there, that makes it look safer. It seems like the kind of thing a bank would see. Three would have been overkill. These guys are really shrewd. Yeah, they are. One person would have been suspicious. Three would have been overkill. Two seems just right. Uh and then also, one cannot overestimate uh, the appeal of the sturdy black box in terms of getting people to hand you their money. And this at Washington Square Mall, where people would be more trustworthy than, say, in downtown. Oh, yeah, Portland. no, in Southeast, I would never, I mean, really, get sick. I would never hand my money over to anybody. You know, I, I, some guy standing in a darkened parking lot asking for my cash. Thank you, no. Uh, this kind of reminds me of... Um, you remember the beginning of Pulp Fiction, uh, where the guy is, uh, where, where Tim Roth is talking to, uh, what's her name, Amanda Plummer, who is Christopher Plummer's daughter, and they're talking about that whole, uh, that whole scam where the guy walks into a bank and he's got the cell phone and he says, uh, you know, he says, look, there's my partner's on the other end of the cell phone. You know, if you don't hand over the cash, the person on the other end of the cell phone is going to get shot or whatever, whatever the, it, you know, and you see something like that in a movie and you always wonder if that was A, drawn from life, or B, if the screenwriter came up with that sort of whole cloth, and then if anybody ever actually did it. So, anyway. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. So this happened in the coup. A man robbed a checking cash place, robbed it at gunpoint, and assaulted the clerk. They robbed the checking cash joint at 1307 Northeast 76th Avenue at Hazeldale. Around 2.45 yesterday, the guy said, give me all your money. The clerk told investigators that uh, she thought the man was joking until he pulled a black semi-automatic handgun and pointed it in her face. After the cashier had filled the grocery bag with the money from the register, the robber grabbed her and demanded the videotape. The cashier uh, told him there was no videotape in the store, which I would believe. And then the uh, gunman bombed the store's VCR and he slammed her head into a nearby sink for lying. Wait, so is this like a uh, like a payday loans place yeah, or one of those like your... I know this place has all had like... The, the bulletproof glass where you couldn't couldn't get at anybody. And apparently, this one doesn't. All right. Uh, the men took the tape and the money and took off. They searched the area using a canine unit, but didn't find the robber. He's described as black, 20 to 30 years old, six feet tall, medium build, had a mustache and a small beard at his jawline. During the robbery, he was wearing a black zippered hooded sweatshirt and blue jeans. All right, then. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, everybody. This is Benjamin. What's up, sir? 
Hey, you know that uh, robbery, um, the the guys faking being security guards? Yes, sir. That was actually an episode of a television show, like on Discovery or the Learning Channel, um, within the past year, I think. The Learning How to Steal Channel? Well, where they were saying these are successful scams that have worked before, and then they go through a <laughs> seriously, they go through a reenactment of it, and they're like, let's see if this works. Let's see if we can pose in for the cameras well, and handy. someone into doing this. That was an actual episode. And then someone just went and did it. And so, you know, a guy's just at home going, one, uh, buy uniform, two, stand outside, three, profit. Really? It was a how-to primer. Well, all right then. Thank you, sir. There you go. All right. Okay. Well, I guess that's uh, it's sort of like the, it's sort of like the popular mechanics of crime, apparently. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, three Oregon University presidents want to see the legal drinking age lowered from 21 to 18. They believe the current law encourages dangerous binge drinking. Dr. Thomas Hofstetter of Lewis and Clark College, Dr. Phil Creighton from Pacific University, and Dr. Emily Pelton of Willamette University joined about 100 college presidents from around the country for pushing for this change. Others include the presidents of Duke Dartmouth and Ohio State. They believe that the drinking age simply doesn't work and that college students will drink no matter what. They say uh, they do it more dangerously when it's illegal. This is not a simple question, but the current answer is also not an effective solution to the problem. The president signed a statement noting that while adults under the age of 21 can vote, serve on juries, and enlist in the military, they're told they're not mature enough to have a beer. So, uh, apparently. Oh, Mothers Against Drink Driving said the initiative is a bad move and lowering the drinking age. You know, really, is there anything on earth that Mothers Against Drunk Driving doesn't think is a bad idea? Really, when is the last time you heard somebody from Mothers Against Drunk Driving say, you know, that seems like a perfectly reasonable compromise. We're willing to accept that. Mm -hmm. I mean, never. You can count on zero fingers the number of times that Mothers Against Drunk Driving have have ever put out. You know what? You know what Mothers Against Drunk Driving, that organization, reminds me of? And you and I have talked about this before, Tim. Mm -hmm. It's like how how, uh, you, I think, uh, at one point belonged to the ACLU, as did I. My wife belonged to MoveOn.org. And eventually you, you drop out of both of those organizations because they just won't leave you alone. Because every single time you open your inbox, the gravest threat to American democracy that we have ever faced is now, call your congressman now. I mean, right? No, mine, was, mine was the animal people. Uh, with, with the sad dog singing and the, what's, his name, what's her name song on TV. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, the American Society of Prevention of Cruelty right. and Animals. They drove me crazy. Because and finally I called them. I am quitting your organization right now. Never send me a thing ever again. <laughs> You're wasting my money. You must have spent more money than I've given you sending me crap. <laughs> I will kill one kitten for every spam email I receive from you in the future. You know, the problem with joining any national organization is your money is just buying cocktail parties from people living in New York and L.A. People in between really don't matter. No, no, that's true. Uh, and there are plenty of local organizations you can join that do, you know, very good things. So, um, so Lara had joined MoveOn.org, I think, in 2000, and I, I've been a member, I've been a longtime card-carrying member of the ACLU for, you know, I don't know, a bunch of years. Uh, but it, I mean, it's like I still, you know, I'm still a big fan of the ACLU and all that. But I mean, maybe this just marks me as just an apathetic American. But I sort of, I sort of gave them however many, you know, dollars every year in a donation, uh, and. You know, and I kind of figure, okay, they, they, look, you know what you're doing. Here's my money. Go, you know, go file some law. Go file some lawsuits to make some people unhappy. Go, go irritate some Republicans. Yet they they spend more money sending you things, saying they want more money because your country is in danger. Well, that's the thing, and there is no such, there is no email from the ACLU in which something is a moderate threat or in which something is 
Kind of vexing us, but not really all that important. It's always that, like, the Constitution and the government of the United States are hanging by a thread, and you must take action now. And so the action I took is to say, filter all, spam, apply. And then just, like, everything they send me just goes right into the trash. Um, what was my point? ACLU, Mothers... Oh, so anyway, so Mothers Against Drunk Driving, but they're the same way. It's always DEFCON 5. And I hate to sound like I'm busting on Mothers Against Drunk Driving, but it's like they just have... Mothers Against Drunk Driving are also a little bit like, uh, lest anybody think that I'm on one side of the aisle or another, Mothers Against Drunk Driving are, they're like the ACLU, they're like MoveOn.org, and they're like the NRA, that none of those organizations have any idea of compromise or middle ground. Like, everything is constantly just this scorched earth nuclear problem that we have to solve. Uh, that being said... Uh, if you're able to uh, if you're able to vote and serve on a jury and be executed by your government and be sent off somewhere to uh, to shoot people and be shot at, it does seem like you ought to be able to drink. And furthermore, it doesn't really seem like anybody of any age in this country really needs a provocation to binge drink. If you're going to binge drink, you're going to binge drink. It doesn't have any the legality makes no difference. Do you know anybody who wants to binge drink or for that matter wants to buy drugs that doesn't just go buy drugs? I mean, these laws obviously stop nobody from ingesting anything. It's just a big waste of freaking time, and everybody should just get bent with that. So then there's this other organization called Oregon Partnership, a statewide nonprofit organization that provides alcohol and drug prevention education. They're also, uh, uh, let's see, they're opposed to it, too. This is not a bad idea. It is a horrendous idea. Lowering the drinking age makes the underage drinking problem even worse. Says... How does that make any sense? That, that makes no sense at all. That defies logic. Their spokesman is a name we remember, Pete Schulberg. Really? He is the spokesman for this now. Remember he... he from the Oregonian? Is he no longer with that, the Oregonian? No, no, no. He's long gone. And he was the only person worth reading with that. As a matter of fact, he had good things to say about us when we were fired. He wrote the very first... <laughs> what a sad statement. I mean, that's one of the only times that we've ever been mentioned. Uh... No, the, he, uh, Pete Schilberg actually has the uh, dubious distinction of very, being the very first person in Portland to write any sort of article about me or this show. Yeah. Uh, when I first came, it was, it, I have it somewhere at home. I save all this stuff. Uh, uh, in the Oregonian, there was a huge article about the launch of Becker, the sitcom starring Ted Danson. Mm -hmm. And then there was like three sentences at the end. Also, Emerson starts on KOTK. And it was like this tiny little mention at the end. Uh, about how, like, my show had launched, uh, you know, in, in 1998 uh, on Hot Talk 1080. So, anyway, so he is the organization. He's the head of uh, this organization, the yeah. mouthpiece or whatever. That doesn't make any... I hate to keep dwelling on this, but that doesn't even make any logical sense. How can lowering... How can lowering the drinking age to 18 from 21 cause more underage drinking? That seems counterintuitive. It seems like it removes a lot of counter... Because you were removing... By three, the number of years in which people might be breaking the law by consuming alcohol. It's that's ridiculous. Just, that's just stupid. That's just bad math. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, you know, there'll be plenty of time to complain about this later in the year, but don't even get me started on, on this. Uh, I was reading the Portland Tribune this weekend. Uh -huh. uh, and the front page of the Portland Tribune, a whole article about the smoking ban. And I just sat there, and I, just, I had to Laura and I were having lunch, and she paradoxically enough, is all for the smoking ban, like a lot of... And it just it sort of astounds me, like the number of intelligent people I know. And I don't, I don't mean that in a sarcastic way, like that, and I don't mean to sound condescending about it. But the number of people I know who I would imagine are sort of, you know, that they've kind of got their act together mentally, and they're sort of they're the right thinking in most ways, and that they're just wholeheartedly embracing this further government intrusion into our lives. Uh, so I got about three paragraphs into it, and I just had to put it down. I just like had to. I, she, she looked over, and I think at one point I was just becoming purple and incandescent with rage. 
And I kind of did that thing when you're really, really angry, where I very, you know, I slowly and calmly stopped, and I kind of folded the newspaper up, and I kind of folded it in half, and I went over and I put it back down in the newspaper rack, and I came down, and I came back to the table, and I sat down, and I went, let's get a bagel, shall we? Because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't even talk about it. It was making me too angry. So uh, we'll be ramping up to a uh, to a full screech fest about that as we get closer to the uh, end of December. Here's Tim Riley. So the fellow charged with blocking the entrance to Portland's new illegal immigrant labor center in his one-man protest has been convicted of disorderly conduct. Tom Wenning wanted his day in court to make his point. Well, he made it. Now he's been fined $500. Okay. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Hey, Rick, this is Jason. What's up? Hey, man, I was just uh, watching Comedy Central the other night. I remember the comedian's name. But, uh, he's talking about starting uh, well, it's an organization. Can you, sir, can you, uh, I'm sorry, can you back up just one second? Your phone was kind of cutting out on us. Uh, sorry about that. You there? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was watching Comedy Central the other night. Some yes. comedian, I can't remember his name, was talking about he wanted to start a uh, organization called DAM and then be Drunks Against Mad Mothers. Bottom bow. <laughs> uh, yes, they, would, they wouldn't get much done. You wouldn't get newsletters from them. So. Here's... Here's the here's the funny thing about that. This actually isn't about that, but you reminded me of this. You know what I had a dream about last night? I had a dream about Craig Gass. I don't know why. I, had some, I mean, it wasn't really about him, but he was there. He's going to be back in town in a couple months. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Craig Gass, uh, comedian and uh, impressionist, uh, was in my dream last night this morning. which is And in my dream, he was... Oh, that guy's gone. In my dream, he was talking like Paul Stanley uh, and then alternating it with like a uh, little Sam Kinison bits. I don't really know why. There's no reason for it. Here's Tim Riley. So Seattle is going to have that uh, that bag deposit coming up soon. Seattle's new twenty cent bag deposit will go into effect January first. It's already bringing changes to grocery stores in the city. For the first time in decades, people are showing up at check stands with their own reusable cloth bags. There are also uh, racks of uh, cloth bags for uh, sales for sale at low prices. Fred Meyer said it's already uh, buying fewer plastic grocery bags. Some parents have told the newspaper that their kids get upset. Because of this. <laughs> this is ridiculous, isn't it? The idea to cut the number of uh, non-biodegradable bags that are starting to clog the expensive uh, landfills. Wait, so kids, whose kids are getting upset about what? And so is it just the plastic bags? or it's Yes, like, plastic bags. So you can still get paper bags for I guess so. Oh, maybe it's uh, maybe they are charging for them. I'm not sure. Is it just... But I do bring my own bag when I go to Trader Joe's because I can enter the contest to win free groceries. They give you that little wooden nickel, right? No, I didn't get a wooden nickel. You have to fill out this little ticket. Wait, what am I thinking of? Then you do a thing at Trader Joe's and they give you a wooden nickel. It for might something? be at yours. Maybe. No, the one I go to is probably the one you go to, and it's a piece of paper. Yeah, the one on South. Well, then why do I have? Do you a, bring your own bags. Why do I have a wooden nickel? And you can insert your own observation about how at one point I did in fact take a wooden nickel. Uh, why do I have a wooden nickel that says Trader Joe's? I don't know. You're the only one that gets one. Maybe it's just decorative. That's a special wooden nickel. Maybe this is like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. Now you all have to stone me. I want a wooden nickel next time I go to Trader Joe's. Uh, da 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 and so forth. So, wait, whose children are getting upset about what? And is it just me, or every time do we talk about the kind of bag in which they put your groceries at the supermarket, does this show just enter a realm of absolute confusion? Some parents have told the Seattle Post Intelligencer that their kids get upset if they don't go along with the trend. What trend? The trend to bring your own bags to go shopping. That is a lie. That's a lie. That is fabricated news right there. Well, that that's is, what Fred Meyer said. That is, that's just made up right there. There's no, Nobody's children are getting upset because of the type of bag. That's just stupid. <laughs> who's, I'd like to find one child who's getting upset about the kind of bag his mom is using at the supermarket. 
All right. Well, whatever. Well, I'm just here to bring the news. I'm not here to... I suppose. ...to change society. <laughs> None of us are, Tim. None of us are. So here's this Bigfoot story again. Bigfoot is revealed to be a Halloween costume. <laughs> yes, it was really a rubber suit. No. And everybody fell for it. <laughs> they examined oh. over uh, a Bigfoot uh, turned into a three-ring circus, if not a four-ring circus. Uh, searching for Bigfoot.com owner Tom uh, Biscotti, he paid an undisclosed sum to Matthew Witten and Rick Dreyer, the two Georgia men who say they found the body. With their frozen corpse and the privilege of uh, trotting them out in front of TV cameras. At the same time, the Scotty sent a self-described Satchpatch detective Steve Culls back to Georgia to check out the body. It's safe to say he was severely disappointed. Uh, the real Bigfoot uh, once found is now missing, and so are Windbrier and Biscotti's money. So apparently, a lot of people got scammed on this thing, too. So it turned out to be a big Halloween costume. Of course it did. Can we put this story to rest and never mention it? Well, you know, but but it does seem like about 90 days from now we're going to have to suffer through some other iteration of the story. Exactly. It just right right on the heels of another D.B. Cooper. Somebody actually thought that was real. Like, just have eyeballs and look at that picture. Well, we were, was it on, I think it was on Friday while you were gone and we were looking. They were, Friday's when they held a news conference and poor Ed McCarthy's there. Oh, man. I'm here from CNN, Rick. Uh. Looking at this Bigfoot uh, uh, costume, and nobody's quite sure what to make of it. And you're looking at it, and it's obviously just a pile of a pile of rubber in a refrigerator. And you can tell that even they knew it looked bad because they were just like one of those. I mean, this is 2008. Can we get past the grainy, out of focus picture that's taken from 40 feet away in a darkened room at midnight? So that's exactly what it looked like, and I think we all saw it immediately. Sort of. Uh, well, they have their 15 seconds of fame, and that's the end. I guess this email says um, about the drinking age, Rick. If you lower the drinking age to 18, then you basically bring alcohol. But by the way, and I don't think anybody needs to worry about the drinking age being lowered to 18, because as we all know, there's never less government regulation, only more. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the government never, ever, ever passes laws or intrusive uh, regulation into your life and then later realizes it's a bad idea and rescinds it. Once the government starts to clamp down on you and decide what you can do in the privacy of your own home or what else, you know, or elsewhere, then they just sort of, that just sort of stays there forever. So it's probably a little bit of an academic discussion. But he says if you lower the drinking age to 18, you basically bring alcohol into high school. With a lower drinking age, uh, 15 to 17-year-olds can have their friends in high school get them alcohol. Much easier than finding it. I never knew anybody in, in high school who really wanted booze that wasn't able to get it. I mean, the drinking age been 21 ever since I was, I mean, what, you're saying the early 80s, Tim? Yeah. Well, under I think Reagan? about that. I'm like, I was out, you know... Drinking at parties every weekend. I'm like, how the hell did we get alcohol? But yeah. we did. I you don't remember did. how. I mean, kids have. It's, 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 this is the last thing I'm going to say about it because then otherwise we're just droning on about the drug war or whatever. But I. It, but it, there really is no one in this country who wants to drink or do an illegal drug has any problem getting it. Uh, and I mean, here's the thing to terrify you. Even in my day, people drank behind the bowling alley when they weren't huffing Pam. That's right. <laughs> um. The, uh, but I mean, if you have a kid, if you have a kid who's 14, 15, 16, I mean, I hate to be the voice of terror and so forth. If your kid wanted heroin today, your kid could get heroin. If your kid wanted to go be, if your kid wanted to be smoking crack within the next 45 minutes, it's probably not a big stretch of the imagination to think that they could do so. That's what so, the side is for. <laughs> that's all, all you need. All you need is a bus pass, really. All you need is a bus pass and a little Yankee ingenuity. All right, here's Tim Riley. Where was I? Oh. I have no idea. Actually, you have to see this. So go to RileyLive.com and watch this video. I'll describe it for you, but you must see it. The headline is, Kite Surfer Dragged Through Streets Into Building. This is during uh, what was supposed to be Hurricane Faye, which was Tropical Storm Faye. 
A 26-year-old kite surfer has been critically injured when winds associated with Storm Fay uh, slammed him face first into the ground and then dragged him through the streets and then into a building and a car. I'm sorry, the car, then the building. Well, all three. <laughs> what does it really matter at that point? The man who did not heed emergency officers' warnings <laughs> to seek shelter during severe weather from an approaching tropical storm, Bay, was kite surfing on Fort Lauderdale Beach uh, when the storm intensified. Witnesses say a huge gust of wind caught the man by su- surprise. Why would he be Why? surprised? It's a hurricane. It's on a day in Hawaii. Where, where did all this wind come from? I'm so surprised, and I just happened to be out attached to a kite. The wind caught him by surprise. Meanwhile, pieces of buildings are going by. I'm so surprised. So, so you can watch this video. It's at Riley Live. And see him drag along the beach no. into a car. He bounces off the car and then into a building. Oh, and, of course, these poor people have to be out in this wind to rescue these nitwits. The surfer, Kevin Kearney, was harnessed oh. into his sail and a videotape being dragged along the beach, <laughs> then into a car, then into a building. Oh, that's great. He's now at the Broward General <laughs> Medical Center in critical condition and not granting interviews at this time. Uh, well, what's he going to say? <laughs> wind? What wind? Where did it come from? Oh, that's that's excellent. Uh, you know, when uh, Laura and I were coming back from Kennewick a couple weekends ago, we stopped in the gorge to watch some of those, uh, whatever the, it, I don't know if it's this, it's, it's like, it's like kinds of, but it's, it's like um, parasailing or maybe, is that what that's called? It's like, guys, I think it might be similar to kite surfing. But different. Uh, it's a bunch of guys on surfboards, and then they have a parachute that is catching the wind. Does that kind of sound like what this guy was doing a little bit? Yeah. Um, and so it was a windy day, and so they were just all out there in the gorge. It was like around, um, I don't know, like around Troutdale or something. And uh, it, 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 there was like probably 50 or 60 of these guys out there, and they're all on the and they're on the surfboard. And the surfboard has like a whatever, like a little bar thing that you hold on to. And then it's got this big parachute that the wind catches. And, I mean, it was it was fascinating to watch, but, God, it looked terrifying. Mm-hmm. Because occasionally they would sort of, I don't know if they would misjudge or maybe this is sort of by design. I mean, a little extra part of the thrill. But occasionally the wind would be exceptionally strong and they would catch air. I mean, they would go 15, 20 feet in the air and then they crash back down to the water. And they were really just zipping along the surface of the gorge. Uh and I mean, and they would be going from, and the gorge is, I mean, I don't know how to, you know, the, the gorge is not small. I mean, from one side of the gorge to the other, it's a long way. And I suppose they were just kind of banking on the fact that the wind wouldn't suddenly die out because there were guys who would, they would leave one side of the gorge, catch the air, and then they would sort of surf all the way across the gorge to the other side and then back. And we sat there for about half an hour and watched these guys, and we just, with a mixture of sort of, Glee and dread. We were kind of anticipating that moment when the wind just decided to stop blowing, and there was like 60 guys stuck in the middle of the gorge on like pieces of styrofoam. So that does seem like an exciting way to end your life rather quickly. Here's Tim Riley. Well, somebody has painted swastikas on 45 bales of hay. This happened in Washington. It's on land, and uh, apparently the hay sits along the intersection of 34th Avenue Northwest and 128th Northeast. It's owned by McGargus Ranches. Uh, the company cannot be reached for comment. The uh, fields in clear view of the north and southbound lanes of I-5 of the swan stickers are painted facing the freeway. They don't know why they were targeted, but that, that is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Painting swan stickers on bales of hay. Does that mean they'll be sold at discount prices? <laughs>
Okay. I mean, who put this kind of thought into doing something like this? Like a, and why? A swastika is the appetizer at a strident German restaurant. Uh, let's see. Rick, after seeing the video of this surfer, I highly recommend it. He takes off like he's attached to a jet airplane and goes ripping by the camera. All right, I'll have to watch that during the break. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Oh, apparently uh, somebody's emailing about my wooden nickel. Uh, he, this guy says, um, no, wait, I've lost it. Apparently they give out, he says, uh, maybe you got it from Wild Oats. Wild Oats gives you a wooden nickel uh, if you bring your own bag. So there oh. you go. Hmm. All right. I'd rather win a cash prize. What good is a wooden nickel? None. None at all, Tim. What do you have to do with the wooden nickel? I don't know. Maybe you save it up and then you give it to them and they, do, they give you a thing, maybe. I don't know. Well, that's wild oats, so that's different. Uh, it's also see. different than Whole Foods. Here's an email. Uh, kids are upset about bags. <laughs> Rick. <laughs> God damn, this world is stupid. Uh, this isn't directed at you, uh, James, who sent me the email. I'm not saying you're stupid, but boy, this this world is just F. I mean, really. Uh, I was, I was. Kids walking around the house pouting. You quit pouting about that bag, or there'll be no dinner. I mean. Whatever. I mean, I guess kids have got to some, find some way to get rid of their excess energy, but it does seem like bag anger could be at the bottom of the list. Uh, I was funny. I was talking to my shrink the other day, and uh, I don't know. We were talking about something or other, and um, I was talking about the, how in school I had, you know, we had this whole question, which I actually never asked Sarah. I was talking to my shrink, and he he asked me the most weirdly specific question, which I think we then ran by Tim and Kristen on Friday. The shrink asked me, the, 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 it was a great question, I suppose, because it was just so completely specific. He he said, what was the comment most frequently made about you by teachers in grade school? Hmm. Not high school, not middle school, not whatever. What was the comment most frequently made about you by teachers in grade school, Sarah? I think I remember a lot saying, like, bright but lacks focus. Yeah, see, that was, Mike could do so much better if he only applied himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim had, uh, what is it, can't stop reading? Uh-huh. And then Kristen had... Uh, I forget what Christmas was. Something or other. Some some sort of, you know, like... I was like, always just, yeah, lacking, lacking focus. Yeah, like bright but doesn't try or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I'm not applying myself fully to geometry or but, addition or and whatever that, it is. Yeah, and then that, prompt, and that prompted a whole discussion about how, well, of course you're not applying it. It's useless. It's a waste of time. Uh, when they say... I applied myself in college because that's when I was learning what I needed to learn to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, I apply myself here. You know why? I get evicted if I don't. Uh, so it's... Uh, and not to revisit yesterday's sort of rant about the educational system, but when they say about a kid, you know, he's so bright, but he just doesn't want to focus or apply himself, it means he applies himself on things, just not like the useless tripe that they pa- pass off as education, uh, you know, in the United States. So, um, anyway, but I was, so I was talking to my shrink about, I don't know, some, some, because I took that test about like that, are you crazy test that I had to fill out and check and off all the boxes or whatever. You were crazy. We realized I was unbelievably crazy. And he said, and my shrink is really, really plain spoken sometimes. He's really profane, which I find to be kind of great. And he said, well, you know, a lot of times people, uh, you know, who have some of your personality traits, uh, you know, they just think the world is effed. You know? And I said, I said, by God, you're right. I do think that. And then he said the greatest thing. He goes, well, the world is kind of effed. So, you know, what can you do? Um, I like your shrink. Yeah, he's pretty great. And he and is this not the one that said that it was all your fault. No, no, that was somebody That's else. That's a different one. That was somebody okay, else. I didn't like um, that person. No, but this, he's great. He compares everything to Ray Bradbury novels. Um, he keeps saying things like, you know, you're just like Chapter 5 in Dandelion Wine. So in the world is kind of effed, and here's another email to prove that. Rick, my kids get so much green propaganda at school that my 7-year-old chides me every time I brush my teeth without turning off the water or a drinking water out of a plastic bottle. And don't even get him started about the merits of paper versus plastic. 
Uh, so now we are using canvas shopping bags. Anyway, so there you go. Oh, see, that's another reason why I couldn't have kids, to have some small child heckling me about what I do with my life. Lecturing I you about be... how to brush your teeth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. speaking of that, this is just for Sarah X. Dillon. Women are refusing to have children. Good for them. Yay. Now more and more women are choosing not to have children at all. 20% of all children, I mean 20% of all women, have no children, double the level of 30 years ago. Uh, apparently, let's see, there's an average of 1.9 children per woman of the women are having babies. A lot of women aren't having any children at all, says the Census Bureau. It, uh, it would sort of be expected that in some phase of life that you want children. Well, women aren't doing that anymore. Now, does it say, uh, the, um, in other words, is the total number of children being born down, up, or static? I guess what I'm saying is, is this like an idiocracy thing where, like, Sarah's not having kids because she's smart? But right. Let me let me. Read. I'm never women, let, 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 hold on. Let women me, with degrees let, are more likely to be childless. Okay. See, I was just going to say. I, I was just going to rephrase that because I don't mean to sound like I'm saying people who have kids are dumb. That's not the case. We know a lot of people. Uh, we know a lot of people with kids who are you know who are really smart and whatever. But it does sort of seem, and as you just said, the evidence would indicate uh, that women with degrees or perhaps advanced learning. Uh, remain uh, childless, uh, yeah. while perhaps uh, people who are living in a box downtown decide just to reproduce every nine months. Women ha have, uh, let's see, they have competed in alternatives with the use of time in the labor market. Employment is uh, the biggest thing, apparently. More and more women want to get jobs. Uh, <laughs> of women who gave birth in 2006, 36% were separated, widowed or divorced or never married. 5% were living with a partner. Uh, see, every southern state has more children born into poverty than the national average of 25%. Well done, the South. All right. And that's why people people don't assess how expensive children are. No, it, well, no. I, I mean, I don't know what they told you uh, a kid cost in high school, but when I was in high school, they said it cost over the course of the kid's life, uh, you know, b birth to 18 years of age. They said the kid was 180 grand. And oh, that's got to be more than that. Though. Oh, I mean, but that, but, but I think that was just like if you just fed it gruel, uh. you know, and like and like kicked it out of the house at the 18 and refused to buy its shoes. Uh, I mean, I think if you actually were like a decent parent, it's got to be triple that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so don't get me wrong. I don't mean to disrespect anybody in the audience that has kids. And we know, you know I will, to be fair, I think almost, almost all the people I know personally that have kids are all really smart and bright and they got it together. Me too. Uh, I have two good friends that have, well, three children between the two of them. And they're all, they all financially planned for it. You but, know, it, it might have come as a surprise in one instance or maybe both of them, I don't know. And like, uh, but they financially made sure that it was okay. But I think we also know that they're the exception to the rule. I think we, I think we know that if you're, I mean, really, if your job consists of uh, peddling for loose smokes, uh, you know, and keeping a dog at the end of a piece of twine downtown, uh, yeah, that, that vagina is probably permanently occupied. Mm -hmm. So, uh, all right, let's uh, take oh, a break. Some big butt, uh, you know, bus riding smoking lady. <laughs> Blowing smoke in their face. Hey, the bus big butt smoking bus riding lady. Tim really hates the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy is a funny word. It really is. It's like I. It's like at one point I heard Henry Rollins talking about he wouldn't just say who the band was, but he said I was hanging backstage with some metal band and their butt-faced women. All right, if you're on hold, hang tight. Phone calls next. More of Tim Riley. Stay there. It's the Rick Everson Show. We're a lesbian couple. I really wish I hadn't told you that now. Yeah. Not that I was a lesbian couple that my mom's coming through, Tim. 
Wow. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to say? <laughs> I always forget that I shouldn't tell you that my mom's going to be listening. That unfolded quickly, didn't it? <laughs> hey, Sarah's mom's going to be in town, just so you know. Uh, why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. What an interesting day. 503-733-2970. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm queuing up the... Um, I'm queuing up this video on Riley Live at a surfing guy. Uh, okay, here we go. I'm just going to watch a little bit of this on the air. Uh, yes, I am now watching a thing. CBS Sports Peter Dench is joining us live. I'm going to watch it. You get my reaction to this live on the air. Won't that be exciting? Set to show you conditions right here in Fort Lauderdale Beach. You can see this at RileyLive.com. Surfing despite these conditions, when all of a sudden, photographer UC Osorio and our live broadcaster spotted what they believe to be a funnel cloud or a mist. Can I skip forward? Does it take a while to get to the? Can we show you these pictures because we want to illustrate how dangerous? All right, I'm skipping ahead here. They're trying to show people a dangerous. It is like they're going to pay attention. Seriously. What hurricane? Bruises, uh, heavy wing, waves as he's I don't even know. Building I don't even know. Here oh, here we go. On A1A, and uh, wow. no cars were going by, otherwise ah. he might have been hit. And uh, it all came <laughs> to a building, and they attended to him. Paramedics, firefighters getting at her very quickly. Oh, that is fantastic. To a hospital. Oh, that's but, excellent. Oh, that's, that's just satisfying in the deepest way. Uh, so you go to RileyLive.com, you see this uh, this idiot who's kite surfing in a hurricane yeah. and was, quote, caught off guard by all the wind. Uh, this email says, Rick, I just watched that video. Two observations. One, that was shockingly hilarious. Two, why the hell wouldn't he just let go when he bashed into the sand at 50 miles an hour? I believe it, he was strapped into it. Yeah, but don't they, harness. But, I mean, don't they have a, a quick they release? They have a quick release thing in case you're being, uh, you know, carried up like a billion feet into the air or Just something. another attention whore. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, he hangs on and is carried away. He deserves what he got. Uh, here's to natural selection, says Kennedy in suburbia. It's uh, 503-733-2970. All right, I, uh, I promise to get to uh, these calls. So let's do that. Then we'll uh, have some more news from Tim Riley later on. Amanda Moyer, top five, blah, blah, blah. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, madam, as the case may be. Speak now to the amusement of your peers. Hello, Rick. Hello. Yeah, I saw a little blurb in the Oregonian how uh, the middle teacher of, uh, or, yeah, the grade school teacher of Michael Phelps said he would amount to nothing this last week. That was uh, amount or mount? Amount, well, amount to nothing in life. Really? Basically. Is that, yeah. how, is that, where did you read this, sir? It was in the Oregonian. It was in last week. I think it was in Wednesday's paper. I thought that was pretty funny. Well, so here's the question. Now, were they quoting the teacher or were they quoting uh, Phelps or were they quoting somebody who heard the teacher say that? They were quoting that? Michael Phelps. He said that his, he thought it was pretty funny that he looks back and his uh, grade school teacher said he would amount to nothing. All right. Do you suppose, do you suppose he even bothers to give that guy a taunting uh, phone call late at night? Well, why wouldn't you think that he mentioned it in the paper unless he was giving that person, whoever it would be, a big, fat dig? That is true. No, that dig, by the way, is what you just said. Uh, that is, uh, or, you know, uh, that is true. It's like uh, Lycus never fails to mention this guy. When Ly Lycus tells this story that is both great and terrible about when he was, I think, 14 or 15, he was a DJ, and he had, I think, I hope I'm not mangling the story, but he was real young. You know, he started young when he was a teenager, and he had a program director when he was about 15, and the PD told him, that he would never amount to anything, he would never be a success in radio, that he, his voice was all wrong, he would he would always be a failure in radio. And so Lycus never mentions to, uh, to to use that guy's name on the air when telling that story. I know so. who it is, too. Really? Yeah, I worked with him. With the PD? Yeah, because he came from a family of a great wealth, and so they bought him a radio station in oh. upstate New York that they put Lycus oh, on. Oh, that is, that is who? That's who Tom was talking about. I know who he is. Yeah. He's no. still on the air weekends in New York. That's all I'm going to say, and I think uh, Daddy put him there, too. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> well, you're very welcome.
motherfucker. Take care. Right. Yeah, Lycus just, yeah, he mentioned that guy by name the other day. He's like, told me I would never amount to anything. That guy also went to prep school in New Hampshire. He was two years ahead of me, and I worked weekends with him at a radio station in New Hampshire. I gotta tell you, you know what I admire? Uh, you know what there's not enough of in this world is grudge holding. Uh, oh, I got plenty of them. Oh, me too. Oh, I got a grudge list. I got like... dozens of stations <laughs> full of grudges. <laughs> I've been treated like crap everywhere, no, except for CBS Portland. Uh, my people on this program. Yes, no, it's uh, no. I, I got a yeah. I got a grudge list that's like forty feet long. So uh, yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Rush Limbaugh used to do the same thing. I don't remember the guy's name, but there was some guy that fired Rush early on. How'd you? That's being like that. It's like being the guy at Capitol Records that, that, that wouldn't sign the Beatles. Guitar groups are on the way out. Uh, but there's some guy who fired Rush Limbaugh and said, "Like, ah, oh, you suck. You're never gonna, you're never gonna amount to anything." And so for the, the first few years of his syndicated radio program, Rush would uh, he would frequently name check that guy, like I, and I forget, and he would always refer to him as the powers that were. He would say, "When I was told by the powers that were that I would not achieve anything, did I listen? No, I plunged forward, confident in my own abilities." The last time somebody was really mean to me was. They died in a shabby motel room of a heart attack. Tim, you kind of scare me sometimes. Seriously, but you're you're great. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm really just, glad you're I'm just relaying a true story. These are I'm facts. I'm glad you're on our It team. is a fact. <laughs> All right, that's wonderful. This person used to snarl at me in the hallway. I am the star of the station, and he was found dead alone in a shabby motel room of a heart attack. <laughs> I love this show. Wow. I've never had an enemy death. I've had an enemy fat. Oh, I have. An enemy fat. Yeah, she's like, she's still ballooning up. She's like 350. I haven't had an enemy death since high school. I haven't had any professional. There was a kid who was a real bastard to me in high school and decided to, it's one of those things of just life working itself out. Just, a, just, and I don't mean, I'm not still carrying a grudge from high school because he's, he's dead. What do I care? Uh, but I went to high school with a guy that was just a bastard. Just a bastard and just an a-hole and just treated, treated all kinds of people. Me and my friends treated us poorly. Just a jerk of just unbelievable proportion, uh, proportions. Uh, and then had this great idea to go out drinking and driving one weekend, and it was the best kind of accident because he didn't kill anybody but himself. Uh, I do. I think he in fact hit a train, uh, and the train was fine. Uh, you know, nobody else was injured. Him ground down like a pencil eraser. So you know, there you go. So life kind of works itself out. I don't think I've had any professional enemy deaths though. Oh, uh, well, I had a couple of years, and it'll happen. I had a professional enemy uh, get arrested. I think I did. I tell you this story. There was a, I had a professional enemy who was arrested uh, the day before he was supposed to sign a huge uh, job contract. Uh, he was supposed to sign, like, a huge deal, uh, and he got busted for soliciting hookers. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, first of all, hey, pretty good Rush Limbaugh impersonation. It's, I've, been, I've been working on that for many years. I, mean, I remember you saying you don't do impersonations, so you can chalk that one up for all yourself. Right. All right. Hey, I'm a, I'm a school teacher, and I just wanted to chime in on... When you and Sarah were talking about why we need to learn certain things and we're never going to use it and those type of issues. Yes, sir. Well, it's not about the thing that you're learning. It's about exercising certain parts of your brain and your, and your uh, the, the growth of your brain in different ways of thinking. Like, I'll never do a geometric proof again, but the fact of the matter is it, it forced me to think in ways that my adolescent self wasn't going to think without the prompting. Do you, do you follow me on this? Well, I suppose. And uh, what kind of school do you teach? I teach uh, kindergarten and first grade. All right. So, well, first of all, you're a braver man than I am, Gunga Din. Uh, so, and I do, and I don't, I should say this. Um, I do respect school teachers. Uh, and it's, it's a, it, and I don't mean to sound like I'm just mouthing platitudes, but being a school teacher is an important thing. And we've all had maybe one teacher or two that really made a good, strong impact on us. Uh, that being said, 
I will say, and I don't think it's a problem that can be fixed, I just think the American educational system uh, has just become entrenched in a whole lot of behaviors and processes and patterns that are just not conducive to the type of learning the average person needs. Uh, I do believe we have, to some extent in this country, a one-size-fits-all educational system, uh, which then, unfortunately, just fits no one. Um, and, you know, and I think we sort of aim squarely for the middle uh, in this country in terms of the kind of kids we teach and in terms of who the educational system is tailored for. And as a result, kids who are really dumb or really bright uh, don't really get the attention uh, they need. And kids who are the middle of the bell curve get all the attention, but those kids are really never going to do anything anyway, and so it's kind of wasted energy. That would just be my opinion. Okay, well, and, and please understand, I'm not, an, I'm not a hair shirt wearing apologist or anything. I, <laughs> I love that phrase. Okay. Well, I mean, because there's, there's any, any number of millions of ways that the, the educational system's messed up, and, and, and it frustrates me on a daily basis in my career. So I, I'm with you on that. And, but, you know, any teacher worth their salt is always trying to stretch each individual student out to their maximum ability. And um, hopefully things are getting better now than they were 20 years ago, you know. And, um, again, I, I completely get what you're saying. I just wanted to say, you know, it's not about what you're learning. It's about being stretched. You well, know I, think, I think there is some validity to the idea that one must learn how to learn, as, as you put it. There so. you go. And you need peak curiosity. And sometimes you don't really even know what you want to do at a particular time. And maybe a skill that you learn early will come in handy later when you kind of like, oh, maybe I wanted to be a fireman, but now actually I want to be an engineer or, you know, those type of things. Well, fair enough. All right, my friend. Well, you have my respect for uh, for choosing the career you did, sir. Well, thanks. And this is Steve from Five Times Fast, by the way. Oh, excellent. All um, right. Uh, love your show. I'll, I'll miss you guys when I go back to school, but I'll catch you on the podcast. All right. Thank you, my friend. See you later, bud. All right. There or you go. Or the live stream. All right. It's true. You can also listen to us live, sir, when you're not busy uh, shaping and forming young minds. KCMD Portland. KCMD Portland. KCMD Portland. Uh, one more here, and then we'll continue with the news. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, guys. This is Lauren. Hello, Lauren. <laughs> Voice number four. Uh, hey, I just, I was curious. Speaking of grudge holding. Yes. Have you by chance seen the new, there's a JCPenney commercial out there where they're raping our childhood, and it's, uh, it's totally based on uh, The Breakfast Club? Oh, I oh, yeah. That. Oh, yeah. So um, it's funny you mention this. So so my wife, actually, Laura is responsible for all the commercial watching in our household because I got a TiVo, and so I just skip right past that. Uh, do the but, Lord's work. But, yeah, so she watches uh, the commercial, so I don't have to. And then she will get, God, she's the best wife ever. She she will watch all, you know, she'll watch TV and she'll watch the commercials just so she can then file away and then point out to me the commercials that she thinks are interesting. So, yeah, there's this Breakfast Club commercial, if you haven't seen it, for J.C. Penney's, and it is a bunch of sort of modern-day teenagers sort of aping various scenes and poses uh. from the Breakfast Club while it plays the Simple Minds song. Um, and... She asked this question, not unlike Gossip Girl. She asked the question of who is that commercial targeting? Is that commercial targeting teenagers, their parents, or both? And I, I watched it twice in a row, and I couldn't tell who the target audience for that commercial was. Well, and on top of it, too, it's, I mean, anyone that's in the younger set is not necessarily going to have any idea, plus the fact they read to the song, but they're not going to really have any idea what the hell any of that is. See, I don't think that's true. I think the Breakfast Club is, I think the Breakfast Club is passed from generation to generation. I don't think that's true of a lot of 80s things. I think a lot of stuff from the 80s has been left behind. I think kids today in high school probably still watch the Breakfast Club. That would be was, my guess. But it was, 
more funny. The movie was more funny and more meaningful for us when we were cutting ourselves and growing our hair in front of our face. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. I don't know. I just my first thought when I saw that commercial, you know, was just you know the obligatory, you know, ah, and then I immediately thought of you, and I was like, you know, I wonder if Rick has seen this. Yeah, <laughs> no, I no, I spent a, I spent really a wholly disproportionate amount of time thinking about that commercial. It obviously didn't come through your approval process. No, no, it did not, sir. All right. Thank Bastards. you. All right, there you go. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm. I think the Breakfast Club is probably still required watching if you're like some sort of a teenage misfit, uh, and and I would say Heather's as well. Probably a I lot of Heather's the, more so than Breakfast Club. Maybe because Heather's is darker, and the Breakfast Club maybe seems a little corny. But I think that yeah, there's in some parts it's a little dated. I've seen it recently. Again. I think the template for the Breakfast Club is still very solid. Mm-hmm. They are going to be remaking that, by the way, in 2010. Just like FYI, just just so we're oh all. Oh my aware. God! Did you hear they're making the Rocky Horror Picture Show again? Yeah, I told you that. Okay, well, I told you that, too. Well, do you know who they had slated to play um, Dr. Frankenfurter? No, is it going to make me angry? Frankenfurter, Frankenfurter. Ashton Kutcher. No, it's actually, that's the one thing, because I've been, like, dreading it, and I was looking, I was just like, oh, I don't think so. The person, oh, you haven't seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, have no. you? No. That British comedian. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I think that he might actually do a damn good job. Yeah, I suppose. Mm. Just, you know, making the best of it the It is what it is. I'm like, exactly. It's going right. to be bad anyway. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, speaking of children, our most precious natural resource, school buses will soon be replaced by shoes. Because of rising fuel costs, an increasing number of youngsters will find themselves hoofing it to school this fall. Many school districts are eliminating or reducing bus service, forcing the kids to walk, bike, or rely on mom and dad. In some circumstances, for instance in Maryland, just outside Washington, elementary school kids can already be required to walk up to two miles. Major cuts in California, where schools are not required to provide public transportation through campus. Uh, so apparently they've eliminated 44 of 62 bus routes in so one California city. In California, you don't have to uh, provide transportation to students? Apparently not. That's weird. It seems like California is a place where you'd really need that more than another community. I mean, because everything in California is just freaking spread out. It's all sprawl. Yeah. That makes That's completely counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, it says here, major cuts in California with schools are not required to provide transportation to campus. Well, this is one of those things about which I don't have to care. Uh, you know, not my problem. Uh, let's see here. This is uh, somebody who just said, cost of children estimates. All right, so uh, it doesn't specify the age of the child, but I, I'm guessing... Okay, so this is from... This is from birth to age 18. I guess these are current estimates, and it looks like this is a spreadsheet uh, that has sort of been uh, sent to me, so I will trust it implicitly. Housing, $92,000. Food, $38,000. These already seem like on the low side. Transportation, 39000 Clothing, 13000 Health, 15000 Education, 23000 Miscellaneous, 32000 For a grand total, kids, of $250,000 uh, to raise your child to the age of 18. Mm. Wow, I mean, I can't even fathom that. I mean, I mean, that is like that is like someone that's like someone asking you to buy sort of like a like a smaller second house, you know, like just to have around. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. I now have a one, two, three, quadruple geek watch. Really? Yes. Excellent. Here you go. Here's your quadruple geek watch for Tuesday. 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 High-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Quasar dilemma, remember you used to... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but... Because we were wondering if the quantum flux... So just listen on there. There is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it? Energize.
Cineplex Entertainment is renting out downtime at its theaters to video gamers looking to play their Xbox 360 titles on the giant screen. That is fantastic. Beginning on Friday, gamers will be able to book two-hour sessions at 29 Cineplex theaters across the country for $179 plus taxes. Up to 12 people will be allowed into the session to play their own games or those from a supplied library on the theater's giant screen with surround sound. Now, we don't have Cineplex theaters here, though, do we? I don't believe so, no. Uh, That's uh, part one. All right. Uh, Harry Potter fans find an eight-month film delay. Apparently, uh, let's see, fan outrage is boiling online over the delayed release of the next installment of Harry Potter. Potter fan sites Maggie.net and the Leaky Cauldron are bubbling with dismay and anger about the scheduling move announced Thursday by Warner Brothers' Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which is now scheduled to hit theaters July 2009 rather than November 2008. Totally disgusted with uh, Warner Brothers' decision, wrote a user known as, uh, let's see, Maggie Net. I am totally convinced that the downtime was motivated by money and only money. This is huge. It's a huge letdown. I can't believe that they're moving it back by nearly eight months. So uh, apparently it goes on and on. Meanwhile, Warner Brothers said the decision to magically transform the film into a summer release will boost Half-Blood's box office potential. Well, that seems like specious logic. It seems like that's a movie with a guaranteed attendance anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't, ima- I can't imagine anybody, I mean, maybe unless they're just sort of counting on casual, non-Harry Potter fans to go see the movie, but that seems like a tentpole picture, as I say. That's, a, that's an event release. So uh, I think there's probably that sort of sounds like um, that sounds like the sort of uh, reasoning that one might float out when there really is a different uh, rationale for that. Like maybe the movie has to be recut or maybe it's uh, it's not quite coming together in the editing the way they want it to. Part three. Last year, Warner Brothers rolled film on Watchmen. Zack Snyder's one hundred million dollar adaptation of a comic book widely hailed as the greatest superhero story ever created. But did the studio ever have the right to make the movie at all? Earlier this year, 20th Century Fox filed a lawsuit against Warner Brothers seeking to stop Watchmen's release, scheduled for March 6, 2009, claiming that it, not Warner Brothers, held the distribution rights to any motion picture made from the material. Today, a judge declined Warner Brothers' request to dismiss the lawsuit, setting the stage for a possibly ugly legal hassle. Part 4. A European service provider says Apple has put out a fix for the latest iPhone to address connection complaints. T-Mobile, which is owned by Douche Telecom, says it's not clear if the upgrade will fix all the connection problems. An A-Mobile, a T-Mobile spokesman said there have been complaints about connectivity in the Netherlands, but there have been more complaints than usual in Germany. I... Doesn't, doesn't when he complains about connectivity in the Netherlands, doesn't that sound like you have some sort of a colon problem? That does, doesn't it? iPhone users around the world have complained about <laughs> drop calls and inconsistent internet speeds. AT&T, the only U.S. network operator for iPhone, confirmed Apple had provided a software update. Well, won't give details about the update that it's supposed to fix. Apple has not commented. Well, all right, there you go. There's your uh, quadruple geek watch for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson radio program. I grab Star's hammer by the sons of Warvan. I shall avenge you. Next. Oh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. Connectivity issues in my Netherlands. Uh, did I mention this guy with a nine-foot tapeworm? Huh? No, huh? yes. Oh, tapeworm? No. Do it again, though. All the this... jokes deserve to be beaten to death. Story of the day. Anthony Frank. This is from the Sun-Times. Anthony France had started to eat healthy, but the, I think they mean healthily. But the salmon 
No, they don't. They mean healthy. Healthily, I guess, would mean that he had no problem actually putting the food in his mouth and swallowing it. Okay, I've sorted it all out. Anthony France had started to eat healthy, but the salmon salad he ordered for lunch from Shaw's Crab House wasn't the best choice, according to a lawsuit filed Monday. France says he became violently ill for several days after eating that salad, and later... Passed a nine-foot tapeworm. All right, there you go. Uh, he wants uh, $100,000. Uh, the, uh, the pathologist later determined the tapeworm to be, quote, giant. How so scary would that be? Uh, I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, 8,000. Yes. Oh. Sarah's holding her arms apart. Your arms aren't wide enough. No, they aren't. They Nine aren't. feet is like from where I am. And it to just like keeps on coming out. Like, that what if you wall. just feel like it's never going to end? Oh. <laughs> like, I think, honestly, after nine, I feel like two feet when you. I think the like, key is something to, really wrong here. I think the key is to start wrapping it around a broomstick, Sarah. Here's Tim Riley. Paris Hilton says no. <sighs> she has not undergone plastic surgery to enhance the size of her breast. A hotel heiress who once flaunted her chest on the cover of Vanity Fair sparked rumors that she had breast implants after she recently was photographed with a noticeably larger chest. But a spokesperson for Hilton insists she has not had her breast surgically altered, crediting a photo type from the Paris Hilton push-up bra line for the store's enlarged cleavage. You know, there's really no point in putting perfume on a pig. Uh, also, speaking of tapeworms, there ought to be a garbage pail kid called Parasite Hilton. Somebody can just take that idea and run with it. Uh, all right, here's Tim Riley. Another contestant and her best friend are gone from CBS's Greatest American Dog program. The most recently eliminated team was Laura and her Pomeranian Preston. Laura says it was time for both of them to leave the show. By the time we were kicked off, Preston was ready. He was like, I'll drop out, Mom. It's cool. Like We had fun, but he was just so tired, and, and I think we did the best we could with the time we had. But um, it, it just, you know, for him, it was a little bit too much. Well, okay. Preston is an all-American dog, says she. Preston represents a healthy, happy, balanced lifestyle, which is really important. I mean, he has a great time playing, and, and I allow him to be a dog, but he also is a therapy dog, and, and he brings so much happiness and peace to people's lives. The end. All right. <laughs> Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show uh, from Naples, Florida, I believe, uh, CNN Radio correspondent uh, Amanda Moyer. Hello. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm well, as well as can be expected after a tropical storm. Is it windy where you are? It's very windy. Um, the winds have died down a little bit, about 40 miles per hour now here. Hey, have you seen that uh, video, and I know you have, of the kite surfing guy being smashed into the building? <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen that video. Uh, really, it, it's quite uh, entertaining. At some point when you get a chance uh, to go online, it's uh, the kids on the net are talking about it a lot today. It's uh, it, it, You can also see it at, uh, at our news director's website, which is RileyLive.com. Uh, There's a guy who decided to go kite surfing, and this is, by the way, in the middle of a hurricane. He claimed at one point, quote, he didn't anticipate a lot of wind. Uh, <laughs> the, the hurricane force gales then picked him up, carried him way up into the air, smashed him into the sand at 50 miles an hour, then smashed him into the side of a car, then smashed him into the side of the building. He's now in smashed-up condition at the hospital. Smashed in the side of a high school cheerleader? <laughs> it is, it's, oh just, it's deeply satisfying in just, just the greatest way because, because he clearly just never really made the connection between hurricane, kite, up in the air, ground, Ouch, my ribs are broken. So it's uh, it really is just a little bit of natural selection and action if you get a chance to uh, to watch that. So is uh, where are we in terms of the hurricane? Is it happening? Has it happened? Uh, is it over? Is it still going to get worse? Where are we at? It pushed 
Cicero, where I am, I'm actually on Fort Myers Beach right now, which is about 50 miles north of Naples, where I was earlier, and uh, it has passed through here. The rain has subsided. We had about 60-mile-per-hour winds, and it's moving across Florida. It's actually intensified a little bit to 65-mile-per-hour winds, and uh, what they expect to do is go all the way across Florida, not weaken very much at all, and then get into the Atlantic, where it could have a chance to strengthen further into a, a Category 1 or even 2 hurricane, depending on the track. So it'll definitely be something to watch. We could have a a significant hurricane after all. Now, is this one of those things where they're going to come in clusters? In other words, is, it, is there such a thing as a hurricane season where, going to, you know, where everybody's going to have to go through another one of these in six weeks? Absolutely. Hurricane season uh, goes from June 1st until November 30th, and August and September is the height of these storms. And I believe there's another couple of disturbances already uh, far off in the uh, Atlantic Ocean. So uh, they should... Most likely they'll keep coming every couple of weeks or so, and uh, some maybe only tropical storms, but we could get into some major ones, three, threes and fours even. All right. Uh, we will talk to you again in the uh, near future. Until then, uh, stay safe, stay dry. We'll talk to you soon. Amanda Moyer, thank you. All right, there you go. Amanda Moyer in Naples, Florida. I didn't feel like it was the right time to ask her her favorite Madonna song. I, I, Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Uh, hello. Hi. I wasn't listening to the show yesterday, but I did hear the recap this morning. And you guys were talking about a plate glass falling 40 stories. Uh, in New York City, there was a plate of glass that fell 30 stories, yes. That is freaky. I uh, Over at the Museum of Contemporary Craft, uh, which if you haven't been there, you should, because it's a cool museum, um, they have had, I don't know if it's still going on, it, it's going to be ending soon, a display where they have one of those sheets of glass that they put on skyscrapers, basically balanced on a block uh, horizontally. Is it huge? It is massive. It is one inch thick by like five feet by 12 feet. Ooh. And, and the, the, part, the part of the display about it is how it bends. Uh, so it is it's balanced on there, and it is just – it's wrapping down. It, it is under its own weight, weighing down, and – Yeah, I think, that would, I think that would kill you dead. When we had the story yesterday, I was just – all I had in my head were these, uh, these, these flashes from the movie The Omen. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a little slow-motion horror film playing in my own head over and over again. All right. I, I, I can't even imagine how much that thing weighs. No, I mean, it's, and I think it's like the third one of those that, that, that has fallen off the side of a building in New York in like 90 days. So they got some sort of glass control issue uh, happening there. All right. Thank you, sir. Now there's uh, Alex about falling glass. Here's Tim Riley. And now back to this. Russia must leave Georgia immediately. That from Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, who has used his statement every day for the past two weeks. Now she's very serious. Oh, and she insists that NATO stands firm with Georgia, whatever that means. NATO intends to support the territorial integrity, independence, and sovereignty of Georgia, and to support its democratically elected government, its democracy, uh, and to deny Russia the strategic objective of undermining that democracy. It's meaningless. We're not doing anything. <laughs> I can not understand what she was saying there. I don't think she did either. No. She threw a couple of sentences together. Yep. She insists that Russia pull out his troops immediately. Uh -huh. She's been saying that every, like, day, twice for the past two weeks. Right on that. First, quote, unquote, who were there, 
um, are one thing, but those who reinforced in some way uh, into the zone of conflict should also return to the status quo ante. To whom what the she, hell is she talking about? And to whom is she speaking? To the people of the world. I mean, uh, okay, all right. She said Russia mu uh, must get out immediately. All right, uh, yeah. Sure, they're shaking in their boots. I, I read some headline yesterday. They said that Russia was they were they were doing this nifty trick yesterday, where Russia, on the one hand, was saying they were leaving, and then they were just moving their troops further in. So it was sort of a, like a you know you're moving further in. No, we're not. I mean, it was they were it was really the, the actual press release from Russia said like we are now beginning withdrawal of our troops, and yet they were showing like this little illustration on the map where the troops are just going further in. So I think it's uh, I think they're trying a little bit of mentalism there. They well, somebody removed all the street signs. We're really not sure which direction <laughs> we're traveling in. The street the street signs have all been sold for scrap. Oh, by the way, I'd like to take this moment to thank Catholic listener Michelle, uh, who stopped. You know, it, it, sometimes, can I just say this? You get a, a picture in your head, usually inaccurate, or at least uh, incomplete, of who listens to the show or what kind of people are out there sort of, you know, tuning in. And, you know, you'd be people maybe at, uh, you know, Mount Tabor this last weekend or maybe at a listener party or, you know, you run to some guy at Safeway who listens. And you, you sometimes... I don't know, there's just a certain, some images just don't necessarily naturally leap into your head when you think about the person listening. And Michelle, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, was, was one such. She came by yesterday on, so she came by yesterday, so she, she's this attractive, I would say maybe mid to late 30-something woman who'd come from a golf game. She's like, so I was golfing at Lake Oswego, and I wanted to come by and drop you off this St. Genesius card. So she, um... Because we talked about St. Genesius, who is the patron saint of, wait for it, actors, comedians, converts, dancers, musicians, printers, prostitutes, lawyers, thieves, torture victims, and epileptics. Uh, and so on her way back from a golf game, she stopped by uh, either a church or a Catholic store. I'm unclear. And she purchased the St. Genesius card. She noted that I still needed to take the uh, card into a church and have it blessed. She recommended that maybe I go to St. Ignatius, uh, which is her home parish, even though she does not reside in southeast Portland. And then she brought me a handy printout uh, about St. Genesius as well. So I now have this St. Genesius card, which I will have blessed at some point, and then we'll hang it up in the studio for no readily apparent reason. Uh, so thank you, Michelle. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, people who live in Minnesota are being warned to stay away from bats, especially this month. This is the biggest month for human bat encounters, says John Schechtel. An expert on uh, bats in uh, mi mi uh, Minnesota. Sometimes when people are capturing bats, they injure the bat enough that the bat can't be tested. So, yes, please do not hit the bat with a tennis racket. <laughs> who, can, who can disagree with that? That was a wholly uninteresting soundbite until the end when she pulled it out of that nosedive. Mm -hmm. So do not hit the bat with a tennis racket. Mm -hmm. Who can disagree with that? Here's Tim Riley. From uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, they're complaining that their uh, school district has too many kids, about 200 or more. Uh, Mother Don Stoley has seen the population of Sioux Falls skyrocket. We built a house out here, and when we first built, it was, you know, you've seen a lot of bare land, and in a matter of time, you see how quickly the, the, the neighborhoods are growing. So They now have two lunch lines to get the kids fed faster. Well, as many uh, public schools in Washington struggle with uh, mathematics, it has been noted that kids in Washington State do terrible about adding and subtracting. Uh, Dr. Uh, ben Benjamin, who's a math education expert for the state of Washington, says they need to give kids more math homework to get them better at it. Take any athlete or musician. It's pretty clear that the more they train, the more they practice, the better they're going to be at it. The same is true in mathematics. Uh-huh. 
Uh, well, all right. This is. See, it seems like everything uh, today is just leading us back to yesterday's conversations about some such. Uh, anyways, I'm not going to drone on and on about math, except to say that it probably serves you well to know how to do the big four, which is addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. But really beyond that, uh, it, you know, it seems like uh, that, you know, you either got a calculator or that work is going to be done for you by some kind of professional. Um, so all you need is Quicken, but in all your figures, it doesn't work for you. Well, you know, here's the thing. Do you, uh, do you ever think about this? Do you ever worry that spell check is making you dumber? You know, that you're losing your ability to spell because of spell check. And don't get me wrong. Uh, I like to pride myself on having at least some kind of grasp on the English language and the various syntactical rules contained therein and you know, the spelling and the whatever. Uh, and I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a Nazi by this stuff. Like, I will, I will correct uh, the... And I know that there are things that I do incorrectly. I know that went to the, you know went to the shopping center with Sarah and me or whatever that Sarah and I, and don't bother to call and tell me the rule that helps you remember how to do it because I'm not going to remember and it's going to fall out of my brain and you're just going to call and correct me about it again in like a week and then it's going to be a waste of everybody's time. So that I know that I, I don't do that correctly, uh, but for example, the less and fewer thing I always try to get correct. I pride myself on knowing how to use a semicolon, all of these things. But every now and again, I will... I think we've gone through three different phases here in terms of spelling. There was a time when you either knew how to spell the word or you did not. If you spelled it incorrectly, you were made the object of fun by your peers, and there was scorn and mockery, and maybe a teacher put like a big red mark through it, and then he had to go to a dictionary and figure out how to spell the word. Then we went to stage two. Uh, and stage two was where you were using a program like Word or WordStar or Microsoft, uh, you know, or the, the WordPerfect or whatever, and you would type... And it would then give you the underlying red squiggle if the word was spelled incorrectly, but it would not tell you how the word was supposed to be spelled. We have now entered a third phase of spelling, and that is where, depending on what you're using, sometimes it's a Microsoft Word. I think uh, Gmail and Yahoo Mail both do this. Sometimes you'll spell a word incorrectly, and it just fixes it for you without even asking. Which I guess is kind of great, but on the other hand, that means I'm just going to that's like giving a man a fish. I'm just going to continue to spell the word incorrectly over and over. And then one of these days, I mean, it's going to hamstring me. And one of these days, I'm going to be uh, typing on something that doesn't automatically correct it. And then I'm going to use the word. I'm going to spell it incorrectly. And then everybody will think that I'm a mental feebling. So uh, I really do feel like that's a thing in which technology is just going to make our brains all spongy and useless. So I, I wish there was a way. I know this sounds dumb, but I wish there was a way to turn that off. Like when I use email or something, I wish there was a way to just make it tell me the word was wrong, but not to fix it for me. I feel like I would be better served by having to go look up the correct... I sound just like a joyless uh, ass right now, don't I? Really wanting no. wanting to turn off the spell check so that I have the joy of looking the word up in a dictionary. No, Boy, I, I sound you, like I, I have no life. I think you sound proactive because you're realizing you're starting to have a problem with it and you're trying to nip the addiction before it gets too out of control. Well, the thing I, is I, I think this will make a great promo. I, <laughs> Rick Emerson, <laughs> talking about spelling... Well, Tim, if we don't discuss it, who's going to? It uh, won't be done. Just me and that eat, shoots, and uh, leaves woman. Uh, the thing is, that I don't even remember giving you, like, it wasn't even like they gave me the choice. It was like, one day it pointed out the word, the next day it pointed out the word and fixed it for me. They never gave it, they never said, like, it never said, like, it looks like you're trying to spell a word. Would you like some help with that? They just started doing it. And don't even get me started about Microsoft Word and the new version that came out, which is really just like, I mean, it is like trying to use a program that was created for people who speak Sanskrit. I mean, it's just the most wholly uh, frustrating piece of software. My mate, it didn't flash a message. It's, I'm exasperated trying to correct your spelling. I'm not even going to bring it up anymore. <laughs> I'm do it by myself. The paper click of... It looks like you're an idiot. Would you like me to make all your words correct from now on? We promise never to bother you again. <laughs> 
It appears that you have an IQ that is that of room temperature. Would you like us to make you look smarter than you really are? All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, you know, this is going to happen next to Michael Phelps. He will now be featured on boxes of Kellogg's, Frosted Flakes, and Corn Flakes. The packages feature some of the most memorable Olympic moments, and they're expected to hit the store shelves by mid-September. Kellogg's is an official sponsor of the 2008 U.S. Olympic team. Oh, have you seen the cover of a? Uh, have you seen his thing on the cover of uh, Sports Illustrated? No, I don't read that magazine. This is the sort of thing that will. Um, this is the sort of the thing that will make you angry. Uh, this will make you hate a guy. Uh, let's see. Um, it's the cover of the upcoming Sports Illustrated, uh, in which uh, Michael Phelps, because he did that thing right where he beat Mark Spitz in like the swimming or splashing or whatever it was. I just I don't really. All I know is that he did. He did something in the water like more times or faster than like anybody did in the past, and so they gave him a bunch of medals. So he's on the cover of of Sports Illustrated, and he's he's doing that kind of jerk thing where he is on the cover, yes, completely nude, except for his nine Olympic medals. And he's like, hi, look at my nine medals and my zero percent body fat. I don't and think I that's going to be on Yes, you can. Well, Here you go, Sarah. Wheaties. No, it's, I don't know, but it's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And you look at him, you're just like, you know, F you. F you and your perfect body and your nine medals. Why don't you get bent, huh? He'll be all flabby like Schwarzenegger in no time. I hope so. So I don't mean to seem... Uh, he's not a pretty man. I mean, he has a fantastic body, of course, that's a given, but... Yeah, no, he's... Uh, and, like, from here up, he's kind of... Like, the whole mouth section just... From his nose like up. With nose mouth, uh, from his nose up and like his chin down. From your chin to your nose, you I'm sure that'll be fixed quickly. Need a lot of work. Uh, it's like that. Who who was it? Did that video? Was it? Uh, it wasn't Cisco. Who was the guy that did? Who was the guy that did that video? He's all chubby now. That R and B. Who was the R and B um, video? Where it was like the nude guy, and he's just like on a. He's like sitting on like a sort of carousel or a turntable, and he's just he's nude. Is it D? It was like D'Angelo or somebody. D'Angelo, yeah. And it's like it's like this this like chiseled black man who is standing there, obviously, and it's a static shot of him from just above the junk all the way up. You see, like, the, like you could the pelvic cut or whatever that's yeah. called. And it's just him turning around slowly for three and a half minutes going, look at look at my fantastic body while he sings some R&B song. Uh, that was a thing that immediately made everybody hate him. So uh, well, Now he's like, um, yeah, he's not so much in shape. Really? I saw a picture of him actually yesterday, and he's just like, now he's a hefty, normal-looking man. Excellent. Good for him. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello. <laughs> I just listened to the Geek Watch. Actually, first, I have a question. Did yes. Russell recently get uh, talking to about flirting with the callers? Did who what, huh? Did Richie Bristol recently get a talking to about flirting with the caller? It wasn't so much a talking to as it was a moment last week uh, when he was uh, hitting on a caller and remarking on how sexy she was, and then on the air she said she was 16. And so there was a little bit of uh, awkwardness there. So I think he maybe has ratcheted it down just a little bit. made it clear in no uncertain terms that he was not flirting with me. All right. Good for you, Richie. (laughs) I was calling about the Geek Watch and the Harry Potter. Yes. because did you guys come across why that happened? Uh, well, they're claiming it's because uh, they think it's going to make more money if they make it a summer release, and I just assumed it was because things were... It, when they push things back like that, it's always because they're getting the first look at it and the studio's unhappy, and they're making the director go back and chop everything up again. See also the new Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. Well, the story around the intertubes is that Daniel Radcliffe, the Harry Potter character, uh-huh. is another play where he will be naked and simulating sex on stage. Well, is that the same play... Wait, wasn't he just nude in a play, like, last it's year? It's the same play. It's like him and a horse? <laughs> and they want to distance themselves from the whole 
Harry mm. Potter nakedness. I could see, I could see that, and then and then you know, and then you get to skip the the whole raft of uh, you know of, of sort of awkward and unpleasant uh, Harry and his broom uh, stories. So <laughs> exactly, I'm very disappointed about the the pushback. But All right, duly noted. That's the reason. All right, thank you. Have a great day. All right, there you go. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Yeah, hey, Rick, I just wanted to draw your attention to the fact that up on 82nd Avenue across from Eastport Plaza, there is a gigantic sign advertising, wait for it, an organ liquidation sale. An Oregon or organ? Organ. <laughs> really? Either the, guys, either the guy, you know, either the owner had bubonic or they're clearing out all of their musical instruments. I was just going to, well, see, there's like three different jokes you can make there. Uh, there's clearing out the musical instruments. There, no, I got four. There's clearing out the musical instruments, organ liquidation. There's you've got, uh, as you said, uh, Ebola, and suddenly he's just become a pile of black goo inside. There is uh, some sort of a weird, I'm buying Alistair Cook's bones for $5 thing where they're just selling hearts and kidneys. Or... C, uh, there's a profane reference uh, that I will not make here on these family airwaves about organ liquidation. Since you do not work in blue. No, I don't, sir. Uh, we're a big tent here at the Rick Emerson Show. I'm All right. very proud of that. Also, one more quick thing. I uh, wanted to draw your attention to a show on Investigation Discovery Channel that is called Most Evil. And the doctor that does this show has created a scale from 1 to, like, 22 and different levels of evil. And he goes through and he ranks serial killers by the evilness of their deeds. Really? Who is in, uh, right now, who's sort of out in front? Oh, up at the top is, I believe, uh, Ed Geens was at the top of the, top of the list. All right. He is, okay. he is a 22. All right. Fantastic. And it's called, It's what is it called? It's called Most Evil, and it's on Investigation Discovery. Most Evil. All right, excellent. I will look into it. Thank you. All right, All right there you go. I like how, as a culture, it, we've just sort of, it, we've gradually moved beyond any sort of subtlety in advertising. You know, it's just show, like, eventually we're just going to have a network called Things That Hurt. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, what's going on, man? What's up? Hey, so uh, the uh, town that I was from back in the uh, Midwest, they, they had a, a lady who won the uh, the speed skating a gold medal named Bonnie Blair. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember after, this was like back in the 80s, but I remember all the police in the uh, in the town put bumper stickers on their cars that Champagne Urbana's favorite speeder, Bonnie Blair. It was, it was pretty bad and pretty corny. All right. Thank you for sharing that bit of Midwestern wit with us, sir. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I just don't know what the big deal about the Olympics is, you know, really. I, you know, I, I hesitate to even, to even sort of talk about that because it makes me sound, I don't know, because it makes me sound like a crank or like I'm, I don't know, that I'm jealous because I myself have no athletic ability. And it's not really that. It's just uh, I understand that sports are a big part of human nature and a big part of uh, world culture, and certainly sports are very, you know, the big part of culture here in America. It's just difficult for me to get excited about certain sports, uh, especially a guy, you know, you know, it's like as Dan Rydell once said about track and field, guy jumping far into a pit of sand, not exciting. Hey, well, that, uh, that video that was on Tim Riley Live was pretty Now, was pretty see, now if that was a sport, guy getting picked up by a hurricane, smashed into the side of a building, I'd watch that every day. That'd get a hundred share in this country. Yeah, so, you know, I, I mean... It, yeah, they should make a compilation video. Of I mean, the, uh... a guy, a guy swim. I mean, a, a guy kind of going around and around in a wet circle is not impressive to me. 
I mean, just because the, the ability to do something useless faster or for longer than other people can do something useless is not something that really holds my attention all that much. No, me, me neither, really. All right. Good for you, sir. I'm glad we're of a mind on this. Thank you for all calling. Right. All right. You call us anytime. There you go. Uh, let's do one more here. We'll take a break. Here's what's coming up. Top five songs that are lists of things. Um, let's see. Uh, what else? We have an Insta poll to do. Uh, I got this, uh, I got this little bit of Phil Collins news to get to, which isn't a thing you hear very often, uh, and, uh, so forth. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, state trooper shot and killed a seven-foot Burmese python in Port Sheldon, Missouri. Resident Tom Moore ran over the snake several times at an intersection of his town. I almost ran over about ten times and didn't do anything. It was like running over a uh, rubber tire. Uh, Bill Alvin is shocked when the snake appeared to attack the truck. The thing started attacking the truck, his truck. And I go, no, this, this isn't right. So uh, Trooper Bill Kuhn made the decision to kill the python in the interest of public safety. Well, it was lunging and hissing still. Uh, and at that point, I just decided to, to shoot the snake. The snake is now dead. Okay, then. Uh, let me just... Uh... Well, we should take a break. We're, we're behind here. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. On the other side, more from Tim Riley. This Phil Collins story. Uh, we'll do the uh, top five. Top five songs that are lists of things. And uh, more of your phone calls. It's 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Stay right there. Back after this. A brave man beats a man named Fam with a fan as he wrestles the gun out of his hands. I don't understand. Mr. Fam was beaten with a fan. What is going on in this news story? Well, a shooting suspect is badly hurt after he knocked down the door. Well, the man in the bedroom is waiting and his weapon of choice, an oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Well, the man in the bedroom is waiting, and his weapon of choice, an oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Mr. Fan was greeted by a man armed with an oscillating fan. He beats the suspect down the stairs for the oscillating fan. Fan like ham? Right. Okay. Armed with an oscillating fan. Long fan. Okay. The victim of the fan attack. Back up for a second. An oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Okay. Mr. Dong Fan. Ham with a P in front of it, which makes it a fan. An oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Okay. An oscillating fan. Mr. Fan and the fan. Mr. Dong Fan. Okay. Best audience ever. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming by. It is 1.45, 45 minutes after 1 o'clock today. Uh, we're here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Don't forget to join us tomorrow. That is Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be talking to, among other folks, Mark Cantor, author of Reckless Road, Guns and Roses, and the Making of Appetite for Destruction, uh, which is a really exceptional book, by the way. And I'm not doing that like Jay Leno thing. I'm, You're reading a great book here. And I'm... And like you know, he's never, he's never read it. Uh, it really is a great book. So uh, do try to check it out, won't you, please? Here's what's coming up still. Uh, Sarah's already found a, just a huge gaping flaw in my list, by the way. we got the top five coming up. Top five songs that are lists of things. And Sarah immediately says, oh, is da-da-da-da-da on that list? And I said, no, a little defensively, because I realized I completely forgot it. That's a big one. I'm filled with shame. Uh, so, you know, so you have that to look for. You have my failure to uh, to anticipate. Top five songs that are lists of things. 
Uh, we'll get to that more from uh, Tim Riley here in just a moment. Let me just uh, read some of these. So we've got a lot of emails about uh, what's this got, uh, Michael Phelps. Uh, this one says, uh, from what Michael Phelps and his mother have said in interviews, uh, he had ADHD as a child. He was picked on by other kids. He said something to the effect that he had, quote, these ears. Does he have bad ears? Does he have, like, dumbo ears or something? I don't know. Uh, he said he had these ears back then and was picked on because of it. Said the kids used to pick on him. Okay, you got to like this, though. He says the kids that used to pick on him, this is Michael Phelps, have since tried to befriend him on Facebook, and he just ignores them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really do think uh, that for as perfect a body as he has, and then she adds parenthetically, Lordy, Lordy, is it perfect? He has a, uh, he's kind of dorky inside, and uh, him winning is a great F you to all the haters from his youth. Uh, the ultimate revenge headline, Rick, it's sort of like Geek gets revenge by making millions of dollars while doing something he's good at. No, don't get me wrong. You know what? I don't begrudge anybody uh, their shot of making money, being famous, getting popular, uh, yeah, taking revenge on those who have wronged him in the past. These are all things that we wholeheartedly endorse and are in favor of. Uh, I'm just saying for me personally... I cannot sort of go along uh, with this fiction being peddled by the rest of America that swimming is exciting. It's just not. I'm sure it's exciting if you're doing it. It's exciting if you're competing. It probably is exciting if you are Michael Phelps or perhaps his mother. Uh, I, it, 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 just swimming is sort of like watching a marathon to me. There's just nothing about that that I can grab onto in terms of uh, finding it compelling. So that's just me. Your mileage may, in fact, vary. Ladies and gentlemen at the Ministry of Truth... And now, now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. The Georgia police officer who claimed to have found Bigfoot has been fired. Excellent. Matthew Witten and another fellow, Rick Dyer, claim they found the elusive creature in the mountains of northern Georgia. It turned out to be a hoax, of course. So, the chief fired him after the officer admitted to the hoax. He said police officers must have integrity. So that's it for now. Uh, oh, anybody remember who the Fonz is? Yes. Milwaukee is now the home of the Bronze Fonz. <laughs> the official Fonzy statue from the TV sitcom Happy Days was unveiled today in the city's Riverwalk. The unveiling is a high-profile affair for Milwaukee. I mean, how much could possibly happen there? <laughs> well, A, I got two things to say about this. A, are you a little surprised there wasn't already a statue of the Fonz there? No, everybody else was there except for the Fonz. But I just sort of, I would have, why, maybe they were, is that like a best for last kind of a thing? Mm -hmm. I just assumed that they would have put up a statue of the Fonz some time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think they already have a statue of Laverne and Shirley there. Uh, secondly, did, and I'm, we're dovetailing just, no, a word like that. We're deviating just a second here. Did you, did I ever read you that story? I read you the headline on Friday where some study says that Milwaukee has the most attractive women in the, in, in the country. Yeah. I mean, how, how could that possibly be true? Not Milwaukee, Oregon. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I mean, that's one of those things you read it and you just instinctively know that it's a, just a tissue of lies. All right. Well, in any event, Fond statue. So apparently it uh, represents a, a time when life was simpler, which is a bunch of bull. Which is crap. I mean, the 1970s, uh, people are, <laughs> do you watch Swingtown? People have <laughs> protected sex everywhere in their basements. Stealing each other's wives. You know, the 70s were not a time when life was simpler. You know, let me just say this. I was unclear uh, about whether this was uh, sort of a sarcastic, like an ironic bit of humor or not. But on Friday, uh, Laura and I went to this party at a friend of hers, and it was, uh, it was just a whole bunch of us there. And we got ready to leave, and uh, we went in and, and we told the uh, the hostess. Uh, we said, uh, we said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to take off. She goes, okay, let me go get your keys out of the fishbowl. And, and then she sort of wandered off. And I, it took me a second to process that. And then I wonder if that was a little bit of a ice storm swing town, let's all swap husbands kind of reference. So, uh, here's Tim Riley.
Granny, get your gun. An 85-year-old Pennsylvania woman gets her gun and confronts a burglar and makes him call the police. You see, she came home, found the guy burglaring his house, just walked in and passed him in the bedroom and got her gun. Lita Smith uh, heard somebody break into her home and grabbed the 22 caliber revolver she'd been keeping in her bed since the neighbor's home was burglarized. I said, what are you doing in my house? He just kept saying he didn't do it. <laughs> He's there. He's yeah. in the house. You know how stupid people are. It is, and they're very stupid. After uh, the 17-year-old boy called 911, which he forced him to do, she kept holding the gun on him until state police arrived at her home. The boy will be charged with attempted burglary and related offenses in juvie court. It was exciting, said the old woman. I just hope I broke up a burglary ring because they've been hitting a lot of places around here. Wait, so she's like an 80-something woman. He's a 17-year-old uh, hooligan yeah. uh, burglarizing they, the home here. of a decent citizen. You know, she should have threatened to, She should have forced him to wet himself. She yeah. should have said, look, I'm going to shoot you right now unless you wet yourself. Just, to, just you know, for fun, just like for a goof. You know, he'll think twice before he robs somebody else's house. Uh, let's see, I got all this stuff uh, piling up over here. We'll do some more news in just a second. But let me just ask you this, Tim, about Swingtown. So I've taken another crack at that show, uh, and I mean, it is sort of strangely compelling, but it's just its just so weird and creepy and icky. It, it belongs on cable. And what happens is, because it's on regular TV, every time they get to the good parts, it fades to black and goes into a commercial. So you don't, so the, the humping is all just implied. Yeah. It's like watching cable porn. There's just no point in that. Uh, but my question is, I, I mean, you and I have talked before about that show and what kind of resemblance, if any, it bears uh, to reality. Mm-hmm. I mean... This probably isn't a thing we can do now. We probably don't have enough time. But, but I mean, at some point, I would really like to know, if for those who were sort of, let's say, between the ages of 25 and 40, uh, you know, and living some kind of suburban life during the 70s, to what extent things like that really happened? I mean, in other words, you know, it's sort of like how you think about the 60s, and I think the media would have you believe that everybody was, you know, as Sam Kinison once said, uh, everybody was putting on headbands, doing drugs, and listening to the Beatle albums. Uh, when of course people, that, you people know. were not as fat as they are today, though. I do remember that. People were in better shape. It, we were a more slender country. I think so, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, the 60s, obviously, everybody uh, was not hanging out and just dropping acid during the summer of love. No. Uh, you know, it, it was just not. I mean, that's sort of one small part of the culture that is then blown up and used as a representation of the entire decade, which I think is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. And I think with the 70s, if that everybody was just sitting there with huge sideburns and a Coke spoon and, you know, banging somebody else's bride. And I, I wonder... I wonder how prevalent that really was, or if it's just if it's just static. In other words, if in every decade there is that same number of people who do that kind of thing, but it's just we've just chosen to believe retrospectively that the 70s was full of that kind of behavior. Mm. I don't know. Maybe we probably there's probably a larger well, subject I, that we I can, can tackle here. The, like drug use is more out in the open. Like I remember being a teenager working in a supermarket when people would go out in their cars during lunch hour. And smoke dope, and you can see them right in front of the customers. <laughs> He'll be back to bag your groceries. He's lighting a J out back. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I know that certainly, I mean, in the radio industry, is obviously no yardstick for normalcy. But I do remember in the radio industry, even up through the 80s and very early oh, 90s, late 80s. Uh, drug use was very prevalent. Yeah, I, I was fired for not doing it. Really? Yeah. Jim, you're just not fitting in. Exactly, so he hired one of his friends from another state to take over my show. I'm going to need you to do all this blow if you'd like to stay on with the company. I uh, Look, I don't make the rules. I just uh, it, comes to, it comes down from HR. I, uh, what can you do? So, you know, Susan Reynolds and I were actually swapping stories uh, yesterday about people we'd worked with in the past at other radio stations who were just, I mean, just, I mean, really where it was like Swingtown meets Scarface, where everybody was just humping everybody else and high on coke all the time. 
And of course, you know, and I'm lame, so I'm like I'm like the one guy there not doing either, just sitting around just going, well, uh, I'll just be here playing this Black Oak Arkansas record. It was really just a weird time. But you but you do wonder how many of those sort of ice storm Peyton Place kind of things really did happen in the suburbs, or like mom and dad go off to a party and then mom goes home with somebody else. Uh, which is just, it's impossible to picture your parents doing, you know what I mean? I don't care who your parents are. You, you just can't really, you can't really picture them taking part in those activities, but you know on some level that some of them must have. All right, well, in any event, here's Tim Riley. Uh, see, this is uh, especially for people from New England. Baseball Hall of Famer Carl Yastrzemski has been hospitalized in Boston for what his spokesman called something serious. Now, he was a, a big baseball player for those who grew up in, uh, who were around the late 60s to mid-70s, and everything in New England was named after him. It was a big Yaz bread, big Yaz English muffins, big Yaz hot dog. <laughs> everything was big Yaz named after Carl Yastrzemski uh, for like this dozen years, and he was the the biggest thing going. So let's see, how old is he? He's not that old. And he's, he's in the hospital, or he is dead? He is in the hospital. He's 68. Does it say what he's in the hospital for? It doesn't say. No, he's been hospitalized for something serious. Big Yaz cardiac arrest? Probably so. Big Yaz arterial blockage? Yep. <laughs> Big ass thrombosis. Uh, I could do that all day. Uh, this email says, Rick, I don't understand to what end those Bigfoot hoaxers thought their plan uh, would pan out to. Did they just think they could show one picture and everybody would suddenly say, hey, I guess Bigfoot does exist. How about that? And send them money? This is a perfect example of the whole step one, shove Halloween costume in freezer, claim it's Bigfoot. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit, school of thought. It really is. There's just no... I don't really. You, it's like with some of those really dumb criminals, where you really want you want to get them in a room and go like, and ask them and say, "Look, I don't mean this figuratively or rhetorically. I mean this in the truest sense. What were you thinking? Explain to me your thought process, uh, just to sort of figure it out because it's all very it's all very puzzling. Um, all right, we'll uh, we'll do some more news here in just a moment. Uh, then uh, we'll do the top five here in a second. Are you saying we should take a break here? We probably could, and then like reset, and then have the full two o'clock hour without a big cluster of commercials. All right, uh, then we'll do one. I love commercials, though. Me too. Uh, we'll do uh, one thing over here on this side of the table. Then we'll do some news. Uh, then we'll take a break. Uh, I'll give you your choice. Would you like to hear my thoughts on an invention we take for granted? That's one. I always want to hear your thoughts. Two. Uh, my question about a common household dilemma, or three. My question about a piece of grammar. So that either my thoughts or my questions. What? What? Huh? What? So grammar... Look over there. So grammar, household... I feel like the moment is passing. I was either going to make an observation about an invention we take for granted, a question about a household dilemma... That one sounds good. ...or a yeah, grammatical I like, I like question. I the first one. I do All right. too. <laughs> you know what we take for granted? Uh, I was thinking about this this morning uh, for reasons that now escape me. It's because it sort of tied into something else. Can't remember. I was thinking about the styptic pencil. Tim? What is that? You don't know what a styptic pencil is? The one that oh. closes cuts? It's a magical device. I can't believe... And it's very old school. I can't believe you of all... Tim, sometimes you disappoint me, sir. I guess I do this time because I don't know what it is. It is a very old school thing. I would say that it reached its sort of zenith of use in maybe the 60s. I remember my grandfather had like a crusty one that kind of sat next to his shaving utensils. Sarah knows what it is. A styptic pencil. I think we've talked about this before. They're amazingly hard to find. I went to like... Was that place like... Bonnie's Beauty Supply or whatever on 82nd and uh, Powell, like right by Gen X Clothing. A while back, so I was trying to find one. They didn't have it. I, I went to Walgreens. Uh, I went to, uh, what is that thing that's like a Walgreens? Rite Aid? Yeah. Couldn't find one anywhere. I may have to go on the net and go to like stifticpencil.com or something. A styptic pencil. I've never seen one, but I've heard about them. Oh, they're fantastic. See, 
So my question is, where have they gone to? Where have all the styptic pencils gone? <laughs> a styptic pencil is this thing that looks like a largish piece of chalk. You know how sometimes they'll make that, like, arty chalk that is especially big? It's not like classroom oh, yeah. chalk. It's like big huh? chalk. Sure do. It looks like a large piece of chalk that is sort of shaped at one end kind of like a very blunt pencil. So imagine if you took a piece of chalk and you sort of like, whatever, you sort of rub down the sides until one end of it was sort of a point. So it looks like a big pencil made out of chalk. And the deal is, if you cut yourself shaving or whatever, you touch the tip of it to the cut and it immediately stops the bleeding. I mean, instantly. The look on your face is one of incredulity and disbelief. No, I've never heard of it. But See, and so my thing is... This is sort of like I always talk about that uh, that gorilla named Coco that can talk to humans and nobody makes a big deal out of it, even though it seems mind-blowing and impossible. I don't know why this styptic pencil isn't recognized more as the great invention that it is. Uh, and, and they're like $1.99. Uh, I don't even know what it's made out of. Have it's you like ever used one? I, I have. One. I have used one. My dad used to have one. Uh, sort of my grandfather. Maybe it's passed down from fathers to sons in my lineage. Because it stops you from bleeding, too, It right? stops the bleeding instantly. Uh, and so if you are shaving, and sometimes maybe you nick yourself or your skin, I mean, not that this happens to anybody in this room, but your skin has an imperfection of some kind, and you're shaving and you cut yourself and you get the little bleed, you touch the tip of it to the bleeding, and it stings for a second, but you hold it there for like a count of like one, two, three, bleeding stopped instantly. Uh, and I mean, uh, I think the last time I bought one was maybe four or five years ago at like... Uh, I don't know. It was it some, uh, you know, like a Fred Meyer or something, but I don't even think they carry it anymore. And it was like two bucks, and it lasts forever because you only need to touch it there. And, I mean, you buy one styptic pencil, it lasts you 15 years. The look on your face is, is fascinating to me. I can't even... Well, really... no, I, I am fascinated by the topic. I've never heard of it. But, see, you're a man who appreciates good grooming. I can't believe that you would never have heard of a styptic pencil. I have never kept myself shaving. Is that True. True. How is that possible, statistically well, there, there speaking? There isn't that much there to shave. But you still have to shave. I do, but I can do so quickly. It seems statistically improbable that you have never I, cut I have, yourself shaving. No. That seems like a definitive declaration I, that cannot possibly hold up under scrutiny. I'm going to be extra careful. No, I never have. Mm, this is like somebody who would say, I've never had, uh, you know, I've never stubbed my toe. Oh, I've done that. Yeah, but I, well, okay, but that wasn't. I so was that really just for allegorical. I haven't, haven't cut myself shaving. But at some point, when you get up now, do you have to shave every day? If I may ask. Yes. Okay, so every day you are dragging a razor sharp piece of metal over your face, and yet your and your face is made of human skin, like everybody else's, I would imagine. And there's not oh. that much. There's not much there. But I mean, you. So you've had to drag a razor sharp, not even razor sharp, a razor mm -hmm. over your skin every morning, and you have never cut yourself, to the best of your knowledge. Not to my knowledge, no. Maybe you're like Bruce Willis in Unbreakable. Maybe you can't be harmed. Oh, I can be harmed. You bleed, Tim Riley. Tim, do you? If we cut you, do you not bleed? I believe so. If we do another thing, do you not do another thing? Are oh, yeah, we not Zebo? I, I do know I, I bleed. This is the weirdest conversation. We've really just fallen into some weird sort of surrealistic rabbit hole here. But and Rick and Milo's not that long. <sighs> anyway, so the point is, if you buy a styptic pencil, which it sounds like you may not need, you, you just keep it there in your sink. You cut yourself. You touch it to the bleeding, and it stops instantly. It is, I mean, I would say it is almost miraculous. And what's even more miraculous is I think it's just a combination of chemicals shaped into a stick, and you can buy it for like three bucks, or you used to be able to. I have difficulty finding it now.
I mean, maybe it turns out that it gives you cancer or something, but it's a thing that I think has never really been, and I'm amazed that Sarah doesn't use it because... You know what I was trying to find under the same kind of circumstances? I was trying to find, because I like um, my elbows were dry after I got sunburned, bag balm. And I could not find bag balm anywhere. I not, have some at home. Not even. And, and it used to, they used to sell it everywhere for like $1.99 for that giant tin. And uh, now I can't. Doesn't Tiger find it Woods endorse that? I think he uses that. Like uh, his it's hands. It's really or good though. Like yeah. it makes your skin so soft and nice. Is well, that, yeah, it's used on the udders of cows in Vermont. Is that the same thing as Badger Muscle Balm? No. It's like in the little green tin. Mm-hmm. It's like a little green tin box. I know you've seen it with like it's red like and white writing. I think I have, yeah. Everyone's seen it. And so one day I'm just like, I want to get me some bag balm. And I go, and of course. Never seen it since. The thing about it when you cut yourself you're shaving. In the suburbs. I mean, if you're, oh, okay. I mean, if you're a person with imperfections, not like Tim Riley. If you cut yourself shaving, you know, the thing that sucks about that is, like, if you cut yourself shaving, it's always right before you go to work, uh, and then you got to do two things. Either you got to just sort of like hold your finger there until it quits bleeding, which is gross, or you got to put a piece of uh, tissue paper there, like toilet paper, which then you always forget about it, and you're walking around the office with like a piece of paper hanging off the front of your face, and you look like a gimp. Uh, or three, you put the tissue paper there, you remember to take it off later, but when you take it off, it, you kind of go, and you pull it off, and then it starts the bleeding again. Mm. And then you just, and then your face is leaking for the rest of the day. And then Ew. it's just, it's all, that's what I'm saying, it's disgusting. Don't say that phrase. But you know what I mean? It's just, it's an unpleasant situation, both aesthetically and physically, and it's just, it makes people look at you strangely in the office. Uh, but, but the styptic pencil solves that. I mean, you start to bleed, bam, you push the styptic pencil against the cut, and it is instantly healed. All right. It's an invention that we take for granted. Should we take a break? Yes. Take a break. If you're on hold, hang tight. Uh, this week we are vowing to get all phone calls answered uh, within 10 minutes. Uh, so if you hang on tight. We'll get to your calls around the corner. More from Tim Riley coming up. Top five songs that are just lists of things and uh, so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Okay, now I'm getting lots of emails about styptic pencils, including, like, a hundred different links on where to buy them. Fantastic. I'm going to buy styptic pencils for all of you. And then you're going to cut us while we're not looking so we can use them? Damn you, Sarah. Damn you. Rick, you have to say hi to my mom. Quit getting getting into my head. Uh, Hello. Hi, Mrs. Dillon. How are you doing today? All right. Uh, Is it just your mom? It's just my mom. All right. Uh, Let's see. Rick. Without a styptic pencil, I doubt I'd be able to see today. Our family dog... Oh, God. Our family... I don't want to know this. Our family dog bit me in the eye socket and left me bleeding. Jesus. That turned dark pretty quickly. My mom was a nurse, so she had a styptic pencil, but it took her some time to find it. So in the short term, she used a maxi pad to keep the blood from running into my eye. Then she found the pencil, and while it hurt a little to use, it was much better than the pad. Well, okay. Uh, and then p- people have sent me uh, links uh, to, to, to buying a stick pencil, and they're all at online stores with names like shopprivate.com, where it sounds like you're buying some sort of awkward Why cream for like something. Shameful? Seriously, I just uh, I need a I need a rash cream for this. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, and then Tom the Corpse sent us a thing about using a styptic pencil when it turned his lip black. I think you were using a defective pencil, sir. Uh, how about this one, Rick? I remember the styptic pencil is an integral part of learning how to shave. I do believe, though, in the 80s, it was replaced by little bits of toilet paper stuck to your face comedically. Also, what the F are those styptic pencils made of? Uh, also, also, they have bag balm, ball bag, whatever it is, bag balm, bag at, balm? New, at new seasons. Oh, so, awesome. There you go. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to buy stupid pencils and I'm coming in. And then Tim, of course, probably won't ever need one, apparently, because he never cuts himself. Uh, but, you know, y- you, though, uh, I don't know if you, like, shave your legs and you get a nick or whatever. Yeah. Totally, man, it makes it. And I mean, I, was, yeah, I just got scraped this past weekend from the soapbox. And right? I mean, that was a little scrape. So. And you know what? And I'm like all of us. I'm vain. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'll take a little discomfort if it can immediately stop my face from bleeding. Because like I said, otherwise, you're walking around and you forget the toilet paper's there and then a girl in the office laughs at you. And it's just a, it's a road to embarrassment. Uh, let's see. You, I got, uh, Sarah, you said something. I'm trying to be more linear about the show recently. I don't know if anybody's noticed that. I'm trying to take the show in a, uh, you know, in a more step-by-step, one foot in front of the other kind of fashion. You're doing a good job. You have an observation to make about superglue, which will lead into a horrifying injury story, which will then lead into a second, less horrifying injury story. I have an observation about superglue? You were going to say that you used superglue. Oh, yes. Well, I have before on cuts, and it really works well. Which is kind of weird. Does Although, it hurt? No, it doesn't hurt at all. Like, if you just squish the cut together, like, I've, like, sliced open my finger, and if you just hold it together, then put the super glue on it and just wait for it to dry, like, dry, like, 20 seconds, it just holds your finger in place. Now, see, so so, I think it was originally made for uh, cuts. See, now, that's one of those things you hear, and I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's uh, an urban legend or not, because you always hear that super glue, this is so gross, was used to close battlefield injuries. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, It's it seems... always worked for me. I mean, it just holds it together, and then eventually the super glue will just kind of peel off and it and your fingers healed. That was going to be my next question, is whether you had to actually take the super glue off at some point, because it seems like that would re-injure you. Well, I've always had it in places, like on like on the bottoms of my fingers here, where it would always just you know, be rubbing against things, so it would eventually just rub off. Interesting. Well, you know, they make that stuff, uh, not the company, but there's a product. There's a company called New Skin, but there actually is a product uh, called New Skin. I've used that, where you just... Liquid bandage. Yeah, where you use the liquid bandage. Totally. Exactly like put that. it on there, and it just covers it. Uh, like if you... Like if you've... Um, like cops will use it sometimes because they spend so much time in the firing range, their trigger finger gets, you know, chafed, mm-hmm. or, you know, that can actually start to, like, you wear the skin away. And they'll put New Skin on there so they can keep uh, so they can keep firing the gun. Yeah, that's, uh, that feels kind of cool. It's, it's weird, it's a, it's actually. It's a little more gummy, not sticky, but it just feels like it has a little more give than super glue. Totally. It's like that kid you would always sit next to in grade school who would be dipping his hand in rubber cement and then making a glove out of it. Uh, that, did you ever do that, like smear like Elmer's glue on the tips of your fingers and then peel it off? I did. Also, I had a friend of mine who would dip his hand in rubber cement and then set it on fire. Did you ever do the thing when you were younger where you had uh, pins and you could stick pins through the ends of your totally. finger? Totally. I thought I was the only one who did no, that. No, I thought I was going to suggest it, and you were going to think I was weird. It no, seems... it was fun, and, like, stick it through the ends, and then you'd look You'd be like, look, I got pins in my fingers. Mm-hmm. You know, what? now, is that a thing everybody did, or is that just a thing that messed up kids do? Because it seems a little I messed just up. For pain, you just have to do it in that top layer of skin so that you don't, except every once in a while you poke yourself and it would hurt. All right, can I say this, that I've never been, uh, you know, I've never been like a cutter. Uh, I think that's a different type of crazy. Uh, and and uh, you know, I can't speak for you, do but you, I... Have you ever not known someone was a cutter and then you see them in a tank top? Totally. That happened to me the other day. Totally. Really? Oliver, I'm like, you know what, if that isn't what that is, I don't know what it would be. Totally. No, I have I have completely had that experience uh, where you don't know, yeah, you don't know somebody cuts, and then there you, you see them in just the right or wrong outfit or changing or something, you go, oh. And what is that? Like, she's out flaunting around in public in a tank top with obviously these these perfectly symmetrical lines, like, you know, probably about like 30 or 40 of them just all over her arm and like these jagged scars. Oh, can I tell you, this is maybe more than you want to know. Um, so can I tell you, there was, I don't know, at some point in the past, uh, this probably is. I apologize that your mom is listening and has to hear this conversation. Oh, no, I, was, I figured as much. No, no, no. I know I was going to say it. One, I, I saw a girl in a porn film one time who, whatever, the, the, the film is happening and everybody's enjoying themselves. But then she, like, but at one point, the camera guy or whoever is like different angle or whatever. And then you see like the inside of the arm and it's all like the cutting. And then mm-hmm. at that point, you're like, you know, I mean, I, I can sort of joke about, like, that's hot, you know, but at that point, no. No, no not so much. It's like, well, I'm, okay, I'm going to go outside. Not, it's also sad when you realize that someone's in that much pain that they're sitting there, you know, 
Seriously. Slicing themselves open. It's only hot when Maggie Gyllenhaal's doing it in the movies. Uh, so, anyways, but I, so I was never like a cutter. Like, that was not my no. deal. I just uh, I just made the lives of other people unpleasant. Uh, I just inflicted pain on those around me. So, uh, I never did that. But the one thing I did do, here's a weird thing, is that I played with razor blades a lot. Uh, especially in radio stations. See, you don't remember this, but in radio stations, razor blades used to just be omnipresent. Because you would have to, you, there was no digital editing. Everything was edited with a razor blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people don't really maybe realize this, but there was a time not too long ago in radio where if you recorded something, it was on a reel-to-reel on actual physical tape. And if you if somebody said the S-word when you were taping a phone call, or if you needed to uh, make something shorter for the air, you had to put it on a splicing block and literally, with a razor blade, cut that section of the tape away and then tape the two pieces back together. And so the razor blades were just always laying around radio stations. And I would do this thing of just taking razor blades and just, like, cutting off little little bits of my hand. Um, oh, God. Uh, and then occasionally you would, like, sort of, uh, you would miscalculate me, like, ah, and then you'd bleed. So it was a, kind of a weird thing. I didn't really play with the razor blades. Yeah, I don't really know where that comes from. So, anyway, so you would then uh, close up minor injuries with super glue. So here's a horrifying story, and then you can listen to this and be glad that it didn't happen to you. So my mother at one point, uh, when she was a child, when she was growing up, my mom, I forget exactly how this happened. I think it was a bicycle mishap of some kind. Uh, And, you know, she was bicycling without shoes, like you do. And she had some sort of an accident, slip, fall, spill, crash, something or other. Uh, And she just, like, put this huge, like, cut into her heel, uh, and is and and to like literally like the heel of her foot was all like uh, floppy, just kind of open like a okay, okay, okay. like a foot sandwich, like, uh, like a talking clam. Exactly, exactly like a talking clam. And uh, and uh, so she was afraid that she would. And she had kind of a nutcase uh, family, and she was afraid that it was that family where like if she went home and told her parents that she somehow was injured or had hurt herself, like she would then just sort of paradoxically be punished for it. I hurt myself. Damn it! And then it would be like a, a whipping. Uh, so rather than let her mom know that she injured herself, she just uh, scotch taped her foot together <laughs> and just had her foot held together with scotch tape for like two months. And like when nobody was looking, she would have to go outside and like hose it out and like scotch tape it back together. So that's a disgusting story. Here's something a little uh, less disgusting, but for those of you who know the styptic pencil, when we were working at Entercom, there were those railroad tracks down by the Entercom building, and I was it was during the summer, and I was biking to work one day. I biked to lunch, and then I was biking back, and I had a huge accident and went off the bike. And, of course, what do you do when you're crashing? You put your hands out, palms hit the ground. It's a lot of gravel, and I just scraped the skin off the palms of my – the heels of my hands. And they were just – and they here's a phrase uh, you hear uh, maybe not often enough. And it just wouldn't stop bleeding. And so you know what I had in my bag? Styptic pencil. So if you've used a styptic pencil, you know the feeling that I'm about to describe. I just took a styptic pencil, which is for tiny little shaving nicks and, like, pinpoint injuries, and I just had to styptic pencil the palms of both of my hands. And at that moment, I felt closer to Jesus than at any point before or after. The end. It's a beautiful story. It's 2.20. I thought for just a moment about passing myself off as a victim of stigmata, like just wandering through the building and, you know, like, no. kneel before me. Um, all right. Do we want to talk Phil Collins or get these calls? Oh, let's get the calls. Remember, you are oh, that's right. I'm sorry. To the rules trying to get all me. calls within uh, 10 minutes this week. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's going on? What do you got, brother? Hey, man. Uh, call back to uh, hot, slutty, skanky bitches. 
Hi, Sarah's mom. How you doing out there? Um, yeah, how can I how can I help you, sir? Perusa Bulk. Oh yeah, she seems and she seems not only kind of slutty but crazy. Yeah, no, I did. Perusa Bulk. Who, uh, I like her. Earlier, he's throwing down uh, the vampire chick from uh, Blade Trinity. Oh yeah, totally. No, 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 vampire girls uh, of of any of any type. But yeah, Perusa Bulk who was in. Uh, yeah, almost right. famous, and she yeah, was in. Um, she was in uh, the craft. And American History X. Craft, and, and uh, she was also in Island of Dr. Moreau. And oh in, yeah. And she's a character on uh, Family Guy. She plays the snobby blonde girl who. Um, I didn't know that. Who badgers really? all the time. Oh, mm-hmm. excellent. All I'm right. a big Family Guy fan, and I didn't know that. All right, then you learn something every day. All right, thank yeah, you, sir. It's great. Hey, one more thing, Rick. Yes. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I saw that. I let him do it anyway. All right, one more, and then we'll talk Phil Collins, and we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, Rick. How are you? Hey, what's up? Um, listen, we all love you. But we do. We all love you. Oh, God. Even though you're crazy. But? but it, it's, it, no, we love your craziness. But, but the thing is, is that, you know, none of us are surprised that you are not interested in any of the Olympic action. Yes. I mean, you don't even like to ride your bike half the time. Well, that is true. So, you know, come on. Here's the thing. It's not that I'm opposed to sports or to watching, uh, you know, here's the thing. I'm not a big sports fan, but I mean, I, you know, uh, there are sports that I do find interesting now and again. Uh, I was less so now, but there was a time when I was younger that I was a boxing fan because boxing, you know, uh, as I've said a lot, you know, I think boxing is really like the only true sport that there is in some ways. But, you know, I was a boxing fan when I lived in Utah. And then after I lived in San Diego for a while, I was a I was an NBA fan for a while. Some people because I like to see the Utah Jazz lose at things. So it's not that I can't find sports interesting. It's just that the sports that they seem to focus on in the Olympics for the most part are just so wholly tedious to watch. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. I actually I do. I mean pole vaulting. Is there? If somebody just sent me an email about this. Is there any? I mean pole vaulting, which the guy really correctly assesses as a reverse limbo. Is there anybody who finds pole vaulting interesting to watch? Actually, I do because I always want to watch them crash and burn. I suppose, but I mean, if you're going to do that, why don't you just make the pole of unbreakable metal? You know, make the bar that you have to go over. Make that make that razor sharp. Well, I find pole vaulting interesting because I did it in high school. And I know how scary and hard it is. So I think that's the deal. I think people it, find sports like that interesting if you have done it mm-hmm. or if you wanted to do it or if there's a chance that there's going to be a maiming. Uh, but I think I feel about a lot of Olympic sports, and I want people to think I'm just being a contrary or a crank or like, listen, he's the guy who doesn't like stuff. It really isn't that. It's that I think I feel about a lot of Olympic sports the way I feel about Thanksgiving food. Which is that Thanksgiving food, with the exception of turkey, I think, is food that people don't really like. Because if you liked it, you'd have it all the time, not just at Thanksgiving. You don't eat cranberry sauce except at Thanksgiving. Why? You don't really like it. People don't really find synchronized swimming to be exciting. Why? Uh, The proof is that you'd watch it all the time. You only watch it every four years. That's the proof that it's not all that compelling. I agree. I agree with some of that. That it is kind of fun to watch the the pole vaulters crash and burn. Yeah, well, I suppose. Uh, maybe they if they just I, maybe they could just do like some sort of a follow up pay per view of just the failed attempts. I'd watch that. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be excellent. Wouldn't that be excellent? Maybe if they had one. Maybe if they had a pay per view that was just called "Smug Athletes with Zero Body Fat Failing at Something They've Trained 15 Years For." I'd watch that. Yeah, the guys who who try to jump the hurdles and don't make it. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye. What are you shaking your head? She's kind for? of evil. Yeah. No. I like how I, Well, whatever. 
And I'm just taking it personally. What? I love no, the pole vault, how she wants to watch pole vaulters hurt themselves. I'm not taking that. I I'm love not saying that. watching gymnastics so much. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. I, I, that's the only that's the only Olympic sport that I enjoy. Do you watching. find it beautiful in a strange way, sort of a graceful kind of? No, actually, I was just calling her evil, but I watched to see to if, see they, if fail. they fail. I remember watching. And I like watching them land to see if their feet, if you they know, how they it. stagger their feet, or if they stick out. Yeah. Do you remember watching Kerry Stroog land on that broken ankle? No, I don't think you so. You don't remember that? Wasn't I that might. like uh, 2000, uh, 2000, 2004? She's that girl. She was sort of like the it girl. I do remember. I do remember that girl with the little short hair. Yeah, she like broke yeah. her ankle or something, and then uh, she's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it anyway. So she so she did this whole thing, and she landed on a broken ankle, and then afterward there was like one of those like, you know, the year in photographs, and it was like, you know, there's like all those photographs. Like there's the I'm not comparing these two things, but there was that photograph of the guy like carrying the baby out of the Oklahoma City building or whatever. Mm. And then there was the photograph that year of Carrie Stroog being carried off by the coach because she lands on a broken ankle and then she, you know, she holds it. It was kind of cool. She holds it just long enough to like whatever to count. You have to hold it for like a two count or something. Holds it just long enough to be official and then she collapses and then her coach carries her off and then they cry and then uh, I don't know. And then they. She looked like a little something. woman. Yeah. I remember she was kind of strange looking. Gymnasts are strange looking. Gymnasts are all really. Have you seen all those looking. Chinese gymnasts? Yeah. Jesus God, they're like a, they're like ten years old. You got the feeling they just underfeed those girls. Oh uh, well, they don't even look like it. How old do you have to be to compete in the Olympics? Well, remember there was that whole scandal where you have to be sixteen, but there's the whole thing now of the girls are actually thirteen and fourteen, so it's been claimed. Uh, but it's not so much like a foot binding. It's like an all-over binding with those girls. Uh, let's see. Well, let's talk Phil Collins, then we'll take a break. Come back, Tim Riley. Your phone call's top five. Phil Collins sets divorce payout record. This is from The Guardian. What I don't understand about these guys is if you have one really, really bad, messy divorce, which I think he already did because didn't he write a whole raft of songs about it? Mm-hmm. Didn't he write Against All Odds about his divorce? And didn't he write uh, I Don't Care Anymore about his divorce? And wasn't In the Air Tonight about his divorce? If you've written more than two angry songs about uh, your, your last marriage, maybe not for you, huh? Anyway, uh, no one can say, this the article says, no one can say that Phil Collins' heart is being guided by his pocket. While swimmers and runners break records in Beijing, the Genesis singer is making a different, more expensive mark on history, paying out the largest ever settlement in a British celebrity divorce. He beat, Phil, uh, he beat, uh, beat Paul McCartney. Collins has settled with former wife Oriane Seville for $50 million dollars. Wrapping up a sick, you know, the thing is, uh, the British, they're such sissies. This wouldn't even rank in America in terms of divorce settlements. I mean, in America, they, they wouldn't even be, this wouldn't even be on the list. Wrapping up a six-year marriage during which they had two children, he will be happy to hear that he beat Paul McCartney's record settlement with Heather Mills, which came in at a paltry $48 million. This is Collins, wait for it, third divorce and third marriage. Cueing the Tom Lyka show without a prenuptial agreement. Oh, man. What an idiot. I mean, and he just looks so unhappy. I'm looking at his photograph, and he just, he looks like a beaten dog. Anyway. Well, all right. Phil Collins. And that guy must have a ton of money, because, I mean, as big as he was here, I mean, he was even bigger. I mean, he, both him and Genesis. Oh, yeah, and he's done all those Disney movies and soundtracks and everything. He's he, just probably rolling in the dough. Phil Collins, another one of those guys that, A, you forget how, how many songs he's done, and, B, you kind of make fun of Phil Collins until you realize how many songs he's done that you have to admit you like. I bet we could go around the room now. Every single person in this room would have five Phil Collins songs that you like unironically. Sarah, go. So I should do five? I just want, I have one. I bet you could do five, but what's your one? Um, Another Day in Paradise. See, that's a good song. I love that song. Corny but good. Tim, what Phil Collins song do you like? I like that one, too. I like that one, too. That whole album is great, the But mm. Seriously album. Just from that album alone, But Seriously, you can do Another Day in Paradise. You can do uh, Something Happened on the Way to Heaven. You can do uh, I Wish It Would Rain Down. That's a good one right mm. there. 
Let's not wipe all the ones I previously mentioned. Uh, I don't care anymore. In the air tonight. Against all odds. Uh, what is that song he sang on the uh, Separate Lives uh, from the White Knight soundtrack? I mean, that's like seven right there. All right. Can't believe I just talked about styptic pencils, followed by porn girls who cut themselves, followed by the Olympics, followed by Phil Collins. Way to be linear. I, you know, but it was all in an order, and I, I didn't. What, I'm congratulating and, you on it, I'm and I didn't double you. back. So, <laughs> the program has either become more or less ADD over the last couple of weeks. I'm not really. Uh, I've tried to make a vow to sort of take things in a, a more binary fashion on this program. In a new direction. In an exciting new direction. Hi, Tim. Hello. You want to come back and do some news in the top five? I would. How exciting. Let's take a break here. If you're on hold, uh, hang tight. We will endeavor to get your calls inside the 10-minute limit that we have set for ourselves, endeavoring, as we always do, to make your experience as a caller to The Rick Emerson Show more satisfying. Back after this. the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey, everybody out there will, uh, and by everybody, I mean guys, you'll find this hot. Last night, Sarah had a dream about the zombie apocalypse. There you go. It did indeed. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Was it actually, now, was it already, was it like, it was in were the you knee-deep in zombies? It had just started. Beginning stages. I only saw two of them in my dream. Where were you at in the dream? I was in this weird, like, house, castle thing. I don't know, like, um, like kind of up on a mountain. And it was with a bunch of people. And I remember, like, all of a sudden just knowing that it was happening, and we all, like, were running and hiding, and I remember running into a bathroom, and I was, like, peeking around the counter, and I just saw this person, like, this zombie person walking by us. So it was one of those things where, one of those dreams where it, nobody told you they were zombies, you just somehow knew. Yeah, it was just somehow knew, and then I remember calling my mom, and being like, Mom, did you know that the zombie apocalypse started? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know, but we're okay so yeah. far. you got to read World War Z. I have. I've read. Well, I've read most of it. I've read like three quarters. Oh, okay. Of it. Yeah. It's uh, Aaron and uh, Fat Boy. It's at the bunker part. Uh, there's like moments. Famous people. And there's that. moments that kind of drag. Uh, yeah. On the audiobook, that part's read by by uh, Henry Rollins, which is pretty great. Uh, Aaron Duran and Fat Boy uh, both have. Uh, they both have a copy of the World War Z uh, film script of the screenplay uh, by Michael Strahan, and they've offered. They're like, you want to read it? And I'm like, no. And they they sort of dangle it in front of me, like uh, you know, like dangling a vial in front of a junkie. Uh, we'll do these two calls, then headlines, then the top five. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Good afternoon. What's up, sir? Hey, man. I just wanted to let you know that uh, that I saw the uh, Barry Manilow show in Vegas, and uh, I don't know if you've seen it. This uh, is it. Uh, this is it. Cesar's. Yes, sir. Yeah. And it's 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 a little pricey, but but I got to tell you, he uh, he sang uh, um, all the time, which just really melted me yeah. you know, to my feet, and uh, and another another proof that that you're on my mind. Too often your show that is. Uh, he was doing could it, or, you know, could it be magic? Uh-huh. My wife is just really into it. It's like the last third of the song where he's really tearing it up. And I leaned into her to whisper something to her, and I'm not quite sure what she expected, but I know it wasn't. He's saying, "Man, Rick would really be enjoying this." <laughs> in the ribs. Well, you know what? And, she may not appreciate that sentiment, sir, but it means the world to us. Uh, well, I am stupid that it, way. It, if I may ask, if you don't mind me asking such a question, uh, how much were the tickets? Uh, we spent about 175 a piece. Well, but you know, in in Vegas, Caesar's Palace, you know, Barry Manilow, that's a, you know, that's worthwhile. I could see that. You know, and I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if he's sick or not, but uh, he, he certainly still could could really 
spelt it out, as my wife pointed out, and Freddie Mercury notwithstanding, I, I certainly hope that, that he's not sick and that he continues to do well, things for a long time. You know, a lot of those guys, uh, regardless of how their health is, and I don't know what's up with Barry Manilow or not, but, uh, you know, those a lot of those guys, especially the old school guys, when it's showtime, it's showtime. Damn right, Rick. All right. But Thank you, sir. Just like Harvey Corman and uh, Don Rickles. Yep. You know, I mean, really just on death's doorstep, you know, I think. And just, you know, but when the lights come up, man, it's time to do the show. One more, then we'll do the headlines. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Mr. Emerson, how are you? What's up, sir? Hey, you were talking about ADD trivia, and I've got a couple of things. Um, Number one, the best uh, Phil Collins song, in my humble opinion, both creepy and best, is Mama. I don't think I know that song. Oh, it's it's really creepy. Okay. Um, But anyway, the ADD stuff is uh, the... You were talking about the guy that was photographed with the kid uh, from the Oklahoma Mirror Building? Yeah. The firefighter? Both he and the firefighter that was photographed real heavily with baby Jessica when they pulled the little girl out of the well, both of them ended up committing suicide because they were unable to deal with their uh, newfound uh, notoriety. You know, just right before you said that, I immediately in my head flashed forward and knew that's what you were going to say. Well, well, now I'm depressed. Thanks so much. Well, you know, any, any major... A bit like that, you've got a, a, a disproportionate amount of suicide uh, from the first responders. It just is. All right. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, enjoy. Uh, yeah. Enjoy is exactly the right word. Here's something to cheer you up. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A hiker dies after a 275-foot fall on what's known as the Misery Trail. This place is in Bend. Carl Marlins was hiking along the Misery Trail and had stopped with the rest of the group as they continued on. Later, the hikers couldn't find the man, so they called the park camp host. He had fallen 275 feet off a rock, tumbling down a steep slope. They found him unconscious with a head wound on the Misery Trail, but he wasn't breathing. Well, the drama's already begun with 90210, and it's giving TV critics the brush off. Pre-broadcast copies of this new CW series will not be distributed to TV reviewers and reporters. That's leaving them very suspicious. Oh, we're not hiding anything, say the CW people. Mm -hmm. We're simply keeping a lid on 90210, riding the curiosity and anticipation into the premiere night. Apparently, it's it's unusual for TV networks to withhold plots. Well, that's typically a thing you do if it's a film. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, See Clone Wars, for example. Uh, TV shows, it is sort of strange that they wouldn't screen it for critics. That's, uh, that is, I believe, unusual. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll all watch it anyway. It doesn't matter. It's critic-proof. September 2nd is the debut on the CW. No, before yeah. Beverly Hills Landry, two, is it before of... Gossip Girl or after, Tim, does it say? It doesn't say. You know, the, but the critics hated the first one. The critics are probably... I mean, look, let's be honest. No matter how, Even if it was Shakespeare, the critics wouldn't like it because it's called 90210. I mean, it, 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 they're probably... Is uh, 90210 the new batch or just plain old 90210? Yeah, it has a couple of them... Um, well, a couple of the people from the old 90210. I think it's just 90210. And is it just called 90210? I think so. I mean, that, that's the thing. Is they're probably smart because, they I mean... They distinguish themselves because the full title was Beverly Hills 90210 for the oh, other one. Oh, that's true. And the people who, um, you know, the people who are going to watch this would watch it regardless of what the critics said anyway. So, I mean, there's really no point in screening for the I critics. I saw the first so, promo last night with uh, Shannon Doherty and... Did you see it too? Yeah. And Jenny Garth. Does it look great and terrible? It looks... Awesome. Excellent. I know what I'm going to be doing all September 2nd. Really? When we get to there, you have to start pulling some 90210 clips to start the show with. Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's Tim Riley. It's half of the top five. Here's your top five for Tuesday. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Pure. Shouting is wonderful. 
Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? Ladies and gentlemen, here is Tim Riley with his top five for Tuesday. And words can be used to create lyrics of all kinds. Musings and ponderings on the glories of love, the tragedy of loss, or the sun of a bright summer day. Or in this case, they're just a list. These are the top five songs. Bless you. Better just list of things. These are the top five songs whose lyrics are simply lists of things. And we already know Rick blew it. I already left one off, so hate me now. Honorable mention goes to Paul Simon, 50 ways to leave your lover. Now, this is honorable mention because Sarah was asking me earlier, uh, you know, if these songs, if, if the whole song is a list or if it's just the, the bulk of the song. And in this one, I think it is just the hook, right? It's just the chorus. I don't even really like this song. Yeah, see, so, I mean, I, my, my failure to put a certain song in the list, which will become evident later on, is even more egregious now in light of the fact that he's just talking about a bunch of other crap here. That it's not even really a list until you get to the chorus. I should be destroyed. Oh, God, come on! Really, Rick? He's merciless. Here we go. It's not even that long of a list. I think it's only like six seconds long or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's really only like... No. I saw this list going a lot better than it is uh, currently going. Well, you jinxed it because you're like, our list of genius lately. I did say that. I invited... I tempted the fates. All right, we're done. With Number that. five, Tom Lehrer, The Elements. This one is genius, though. This is a list of all of the elements on the periodic table, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Lehrer, noted uh, comedian. And... Do you remember Tom Lehrer? No. He had a little kind of an underground hit called Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. Oh, okay. Nerds love Tom Lehrer. There's yttrium, ascherbium, actinium, rubidium, aborum, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, astronium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bisophrome, lithium, beryllium, and barium. I do believe he was like a teacher or a professor, and then he took a, he for just a couple of years, he put out these sort of hilarious, sometimes unspeakably morbid songs, like Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. And then... And then I think he just quit, and he went back to teaching and never performed again. It's kind of cool. It's sort of uh, sort of poetic in a strange way. Tom Lehrer. About uh, 20 seconds left. Are the only ones with which the news has come to Harvard, and there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. There you go, Tom Lehrer, ladies and gentlemen. Something with you. It's pretty fantastic, actually, and it rhymes. Number four, the nails, eighty-eight lines, about forty-four women. This is a pretty great song. Yes, yes. before they became nine inches? No. One inch nails. Boy, sometimes you can just 
Catholic girl she held out to bitter end. Carla was a different type, she's the one who put it in. Mary was a black girl, and I was afraid of a girl like that. Susan painted pictures sitting down like the Buddha said. You know, there's a whole series of songs from which this was either stolen or were stolen from this. Later we'll have to do a whole chronology, because I can think of like four songs that all sound just like this. This, this is like maybe an NRK thing. They might play this. Yeah. I can totally see Greg playing this. Yeah. All right. Counting down the top five songs that are just lists of things. Tim Riley. Number three, the Jim Carroll band, People Who Die. So the question is, what came first, this or 88 lines about 44 women? This is such a great song. It's a little long. It goes on for like 40 minutes, but it's a great song. idea for a song. I mean, this is one of those ideas that comes to you late at night, uh, you know, if you're lucky, you just, as Keith Richards says, uh, you just happen to be holding the guitar when the universe gives you this idea. And uh, extra points for its inclusion in the Basketball Diaries movie. All right, counting on the top five songs that are just lists of things. Number two, Johnny Cash, I've Been Everywhere. Ask me if I'd seen a road with so much dust. Didn't Ricky Nelson do this, too? Oh, I think Ricky Nelson did a cover of this right in the 60s. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Another great gimmick for a song. Country music always has the best gimmicks. I've the mountain air, man. I've traveled, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Madawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Barranquilla, and Fidel, I'm a killer. It's crazy. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bare man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. What a great song. You know, this song is just showing off. That's what this is. This is a show-off song. Counting on the top five songs that are just lists of things. Tim Riley. Number one, one, one. Billy Joel, she didn't start the fire. We didn't start Tim Ryland, ladies and gentlemen. 
Greatest newsman in the history of the world back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Top of the hour, the way through like us. This is one of those songs that was then immediately adopted by all uh, history teachers as a way to either A, lazily fill a day, or B, look hipper than they really were by attempting to bond with the youth through the use of rock and roll. I think that to this day I still only know about like half the stuff he's talking about. Was this from the same time, like, uh, in the middle of the night? It seems like it is. A couple years before that, this is from the Stormfront album. Okay. So this would have been, like, maybe 89. And it is about three years before that song, I think. All right. So I'll tell you what. Let's do this, because there's such an egregious omission. Why don't we uh, take a break? We'll come back with that song on the other side. When we return, you'll hear the song that Rick Emerson failed to include. Back after this, the Rick Emerson radio program. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. All right, I'm now in like my ninth email that has the subject line of epic fail. Sorry. Are calling the song that I said that you forgot? Bunch of jackals. Yes. All right. Uh, you should check and see how many people can guess. Uh, we will now throw open the phone line so you can mock and scorn me for my failure to include da 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 on this top five list. Of should the, they try to guess which one I thought, or should they just add their own? Uh, well, I'm sure that any number of them will overlap with your uh, with your observation here. So we just did the top five songs that are lists of things, and there's one real egregious, uh, egregious omission, which Sarah pointed out to me like before the show had even started. At like 10.55, she's like, did you put blah, 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 blah on the list? And I said, no, damn you. But thanks, now I'll obsess about it for the rest of the day. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. So we'll uh, take your call, scorning or otherwise, uh, till the uh, top of the hour. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you want to get on board, now is the uh, time to do it. Uh, let me just read a couple of these. Rick, about Bigfoot. I'm not sure why the hell news channels decided the national focus should be in what essentially turned out to be a retarded bait-and-switch involving people who believe in a Yeti. <laughs> Essentially, some nut bought an advertised item that turned out to be a Halloween suit filled with possum guts in real time, with national media watching and giving legitimacy to the purveyor of a faux Sasquatch corpse. Did any party involved, except for every non-idiot in the audience, say, Hey, why the hell are we watching some uh, yokel sell a native sap something we haven't seen without any evidence whatsoever and not doing anything about it? It's a good question, sir. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, lots of emails about Microsoft Word, lots of emails about Styptic Pencil. They're remaking Blue Thunder in 2010. But in the meantime, do you have your music? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. In the meantime, let me just do this. Uh, where the hell did we go? Uh, let's, uh, we'll now go to the, uh, phones, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Was it What I Like About You by the Romantics? Uh, no, it's not. That's in fact, that, song. That, that hadn't even... Is the entire song just a list of things that he does, in fact, like about her? Yeah, but I think he repeats it. What I like about you, you hold me tight, something, something, you know how to I dance. Maybe. All right. Memorizing there on the uh, whether it's he's singing to a her or not, Rex. All right. Well, uh, but it may be. Okay, we'll put that one on the cusp. I don't really know the lyrics well enough to speak to that, so we'll, we'll move. All right. Well, we'll accept it. Later. All right. Thank you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Yeah, it's got. A, I'm, I'm thinking of the REM song, but I don't know. Is that is that a big list of uh, things that are said? I don't know. Is it? Maybe yeah. if, if there were only a way we could find it's a out. List of 
If there was only a way we could determine whether or not that song is a list. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Right. Yeah, all right. Thanks so much. Hey, Emerson, you got to look on. You got to look on eBombs and check out the. Uh, the Olympic uh, athlete that uh, ruined the gold the other night for the women's gymnastics, she knocks a dude clean out with a left hook, and they got it on film. Excellent. Look on Check I, it out. I will head there as soon as the show is over, sir. Thank you. Check it out. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hello. What's I up? I was thinking hardware store by Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, hardware store. Good one. Good catch, sir. All right. Thank, Th you. thank you. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, what's up? Well, what's the that one of the tenets, uh, the frequency of the REM? There's also that one, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, old Sobe. Oh, I can't, I'm having a brain fart. What, huh? With her using a list. Uh, there's he's a Bob Dylan song. It was just a bunch of people. Subterranean Homesick Blues. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's that one. I also failed on that one. Yeah, I suck. I mean, that really is the upshot of this whole thing. I uh, I don't deserve to live. Rick, we love you. All right, Have thank you, day. sir. All right, I also did you call Bob Dylan old fogey. I haven't heard that word in forever. I also, uh, I also didn't put "thank you" by Alanis Morissette. Oh God, thank God you did. Thank you, India. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much. All right, I appreciate that. Uh, do we have time for one more? Or are we done? Oh yeah, go for it. Final call of the day. Don't suck, sir. You're setting uh, the tone for all that will follow. Uh-oh. Hey, your guest tomorrow, Jerry Cantor? Mark Cantor. Mark. It's with Slash's best friend growing up. Yes. And his family owns that Cantor's Deli? That is true. He, they do own Cantor's Deli, yes. Can't wait to hear. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Excellent. Good, uh, good to end with the forward promote. Yes. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Mark Cantor, author of Reckless Road, Guns and Roses, and the Making of Appetite for Destruction. Uh, that is tomorrow as well as Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley, and the phone's Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, the webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, director of engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio Portland, marketing guru, Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds. As always, thank you for listening. Be safe. Don't let the bastards grin. And now watch out for snakes. See you all tomorrow. Now, bye.